Welcome, welcome, welcome to Big Week in Gaming. And yes, it's... Oh, wait. What's this? You've got mail. Oh, oh. I think we've got some some mail in the Big Wig pod at Gmail email address. Oh, it's from one of our listeners. Oh, yes. Yes, this listener, he's uh, he plays horizontal inverted. Oh, and he's got a, an intro. Oh, let me just play this file. Welcome to the Big Week in Gaming Podcast. What do you know? It has been a big week in gaming. Introducing your host. Hailing from the Kendall Shillsville, he is the business-loving, script-generating bargain hunter. He puts the double eye on Amiibo. The self-proclaimed P3 nominated and approved future Xbox Hall of Famer and the number one challenger to the mantle of the greatest Xbox RPG player in the world, Sweeney! And I'm the game-loving blind pigeon to well that well that that was amazing (laughs) oh man even i I heard the side a little cyberpunk cue yeah (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you to uh the listener out there who sent that in that was quite funny uh, in this really, week's show, we'll be discussing... Awesome. Sorry, he also triggered me but with that achievement I've lost. I'm like, wait, what happened? <laughs> Man, it was so good. It was also the subtle touches. I like how he said, future Xbox Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's Thank so you, dear so listener, good. for getting that more accurate than integral. <laughs> this is probably the first time I'm going to go back and actually listen to this this this, uh, this episode, just oh, to hear fantastic. that. <laughs> so in this week's show, we'll be discussing Ratchet & Clank's Rift Apart State of Play. Our first, or Mike's first impressions of the new sci-fi mm. time loop shooter, Returnal. And we deep dive into the next nominee of our Game of Summer of the Year 2011, Deus Ex Human Revolution. No corrections this week, Swinney. Quick update, Konami has pulled out of E3. So they will not be appearing at E3. It was a surprise to see that they had actually said they were going to be at E3, so it's not a surprise to see that they are no longer at E3. I agree. I, I thought it was strange that they were going to be at E3, and then, yeah. Like, what was it, two weeks later they pulled out? It feels like we only just mentioned that they were going to be at E3. Well, they probably realised that, hey, they no longer really make many games, so what have they got to talk about other than the Getsu Fumi games? I don't know. Could be what a new do they do nowadays? Ooh. They make a lot. They make lots of money from gambling. I was going to say, they're, they're, they're more likely to make a Metal Gear Pachinko machine. Well, they, <laughs> they already, already have. have made. They have. Oh, well, there you go. Wow. <laughs> of course they did. And of course Hill they one. did. No way. Yeah. Wow. That's just <laughs> creepy on so many levels. Uh, so what have you been playing this week, Mike? 
Oh, so obviously a bit of Returnal, because I'll be talking about it today. Picked that up uh, two days ago. Was it two days ago or yesterday? Mm, two days ago, right? Two Friday. days ago now. I don't know. Time just We're flies. recording on Sunday, the 2nd of week. May, 2021, by the way. This That's is episode right, 42. Are. Yeah, Twilight. <laughs> I almost missed out on those cues. So a bit of that and a bit of Deus Ex. Mm. That'd be useful. Yeah, you. what about it? Yeah. Oh, that was it? Wow, that's like that's the shortest mic segment. <laughs> I said I was going to play less games, did I not? No, well, you bought so, less games, uh, bought more games, and you've played your, less well, games. Your resolution okay. is not to talk less about games on the podcast. That's true. No, I did, you're right, sorry, just very quickly, Swinney. I did buy uh, some games, because EB Games have a pre-owned sale at the moment, where you buy one finishing pre-owned today. Game. Is it finishing today? Dang yeah. it, so no one's even going to know about it. Through us, anyway. But so, yeah, so I bought I bought a, a few Switch games as a result of that. Uh, amongst them is Final Fantasy XII because I always wanted to play that, and I thought, man, it'd be perfect on the Switch. So why'd and... you buy that, Indian? I'm confused because it's on Xbox Game Pass. Yeah, but I just I love the idea of of a game like that being portable. Mm. You know, I I, ha- I have so I used to, I played. Uh, I think I mentioned this on last week's podcast as well. I played Final Fantasy VII, the original Final Fantasy VII, but like the, you know, remaster, not remaster, I don't even know what they, you know, they made some enhancements to it. It was just a port. A port, basically. You keep saying that it was some no, remaster, no, they, it was just a they, port. They made just slight port, enhancements though. and stuff to it, yeah. Uh, they it allowed basically faster just battles a... and, and all sorts of stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I know, I've cool. played through it like twice, but yeah, he's well, it was we... basically just a fancy port, that's all about. Yeah, so there's nothing Not even fancy, because there's some stuff with the original that was better, right? Really? Yeah. What? Are this like I could go into very detailed like length oh. on all the differences between the PC port, the PS one port, the mobile port, then the subsequent Switch port, which was based Jeez, on. There's a whole like timeline have. of it. You're you're familiar with this, Winnie? Yeah. So I just want to clarify, like they didn't do much work to them, although the like the character models are cleaned up a little bit. But that, as you said, it's kind of almost like yeah similar to the pc original pc version in that regard but mm. um yeah like the biggest thing they added were those you could arguably say quality of life oh they were absolutely well, mike they had bugs in the original japan japan release of final fantasy 7 yeah which were fixed for the international version yeah but then the pc version was built on an earlier build so it had the bugs <laughs> back in it and wow. then the mobile version had bugs that were from the original japanese version wow just unbelievable the whole timeline of that so anyway, back to me. <laughs> I think the PSP version that I played, I have no idea if that was buggy or whatever because I never finished the full thing, was probably the coolest edition other than, you know, the original one on my tiny little 34 centimeter TV. How many inches is 34 centimeters? Don't know. But six very, inches is about this long. About my arms are very far long. apart. I think it's about that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, many of those inches. And, but not that many inches, 34 centimeters, very tiny. Like seriously, that TV would have been smaller. It would have been about half my current monitor. 13 centimeters. I don't have a big monitor. 13 centimeters. Wait, so th- I played, 13 inches, you mean? 13 inches. I played, 34 yeah, centimeters. Yeah, yeah. 13 inches. I played all those games on a 13-inch CRT TV. I played TV. through uh, and spent a lot of time in Far Cry 2. Uh, two on the 360 on that on a tiny little CRT. I remember that one. Yes, I remember. It was TV. like, oh my god, what am your I doing? Your dog Why was am I like this on there? you. You had a tiny dog, and it was still bigger than that TV. Oh yeah, this, this yeah. is this like, is like Chihuahua or something. This is like old men yell at CRTs. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> hey, I miss my CRT. So anyway, uh, I've got a CRT in the other room. I told you about it. It's great. Yeah, yeah, I know. And they're not going up in price because everyone wants a CRT for I all know, the retro stuff. I got it for $10. Oh, 
<laughs> now it's only like 200. It's ridiculous. Damn, that's really good. Mm. Anyway, so that's me. Swinny, what Swinny. about you? Cool. So, look, honestly, pretty much all week, all I've been playing is near Replicant. Mm. So, yeah, we, we know been, all about that. Yeah, so it's been a, uh, it's been fantastic to be replaying that game. And honestly, replaying it has really made me appreciate something that I probably didn't realize about the game, in the f- you know, when I played it back then, mm. was how the game uses quiet moments or like, you know, but to give you an example, like you might complete a quest and it's got a very dramatic conclusion to it. And the music that's playing during that dialogue then continues on after the you finish the quest and you get the dialogue saying quest complete and the mm-hmm. music just keeps playing and doesn't change back to the original, like ah. whatever the music is of the, let's say if you're in a town area. Yeah. And it kind of lets you just, Reflect, it's kind of, yeah, pretty much reflect, yeah. and they do that as well. Where there's there's quite a bit of backtracking in this in this game, and some of it is definitely you could see as you know a downside. But there's times when the backtracking is actually used as a as that moment of reflection, um, and really cool. so it's like and the, where the characters or the party might not actually talk at all, and the, again the music's kind of still keeps going, and you're just like. Man, that was that was like that was something, you know. And then as you're just running, you're thinking about it. So it, I think it just uses those quiet moments really, really well. Hey, um, I tried that during our podcast. I tried to keep talking about the previous segment <laughs> after each segment, but apparently you guys didn't like that. So you know, I don't know. Make up your mind. Do you want those moments or not? Mike, the trendsetter in reflective moments. It's yeah. actually quite funny. I, I but, um, actually would like to pick up this game. But I've just got so many other games to play. And because yeah, I missed the initial launch window, I just can't help myself but feel like i got to wait until it goes on sale. Well, there's no reason to rush out to play this game. Mm. So, um, but I've Yeah, because we can borrow your copy. Yeah, I've True. essentially wrapped up pretty much all the, like, if you're for, from a completionist standpoint, it, it, there's quite a bit of material farming and grinding in this game. So I've pretty much finished that up, and now I'm at the point where I'm on the verge of seeing some really cool stuff that I'm looking forward to and some stuff that they've added in. It's very <laughs> difficult to talk about this game without spoiling. Even the structure of the game is essentially a spoiler. So, but it's, it's yeah, I'm really looking forward to what I'm about to get to and I should be wrapped up with the game in the next probably few days. Nice. Um, hey, do you want to do a was, review next week? I don't know if I'll do a full review, honestly. I don't think we have um, anything lined up special-wise. Well, uh, we'll we'll talk about that. But um, one thing as well that it's kind of it just came up, and I'm like, oh man, there's this thing that I always think about, and I don't know the term for it, but um, it's like experiential links between games and like music or audio. Mm-hmm. So the way what I'm trying to get to is when you're playing a game in the past, and you might have been listening to let's say an album at the same time. Mm-hmm. Anytime you go back to that game or you think about the game, it reminds you ah, of that of album yeah. that you're playing at the same time. So an example is when I was a kid, I remember vividly that I was playing a lot of Mario 64 and you've got Tall Tall Mountain, the big mountain level in it. And I remember that I was listening to Offspring's Ixnay from the Ombre all the time <laughs> at the same time. So whenever I think about that level, I just think about the Offspring. And this came up when I was playing Nia. So I'm the, I was in the middle of this grinding this area that's like a factory area. 
And then I real I remembered the exact podcast that I was listening to six years ago last time I did this. It's amazing like, how memory works, eh? Man, like it's I was so listening cool. to like <laughs> Vampiro on Talk is Jericho when I was doing this exact thing six years ago. So I don't know if that ever happens to you guys where yeah, you like yeah. you your memory of a game is linked to a memory of something you're listening to at the same time. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. And vice versa, as in something can link you back to the game as well. I think for me yeah. it's more like breakups and stuff like that. Yeah. And even like <laughs> even a really good friend of mine who randomly now is like a presenter on ABC so much so that you know I'm I'm sitting there watching TV with my kid like ABC Kids and then he pops up on the screen I'm like oh it's Nidge what the hell um and he told me how with Californication Red Hot Chili Peppers how it he can't listen to it because it reminds him of his breakup with his girlfriend. Yeah, I've got a And it's weird. Like that, it's yeah. like a reverse memory. It's like I always think of that every time I listen yeah. to that album now. So you're vicariously experiencing the breakup through music. Yeah, and it, you know what it is about it? Because that album is quite emotional. It's just the vibe of the whole album. Mm. So it's like I could imagine that being a horrible album to have that imprinted on. Because it's just like, there's so many like cool songs on that album. And it's just, and I think it's also, I'm like, oh, I'd hate for this album to be spoiled. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's the other thing in my head. Cause that's my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers album. So the only other thing that I played and I only played probably an hour of it. So this is very like surface level stuff, but I just want to kind of mm-hmm. talk about it a little bit is a game called Haven. So I don't know if you guys ah. have ever heard of this. Yes. Game. Is it yeah. the one with two people? Yes. So it came out in December, launched on Game Pass, but it's on every platform. Um, And it's from uh, the Game Bakers, who are the the developers of Fury, or Fury, however you say it, um, which was quite a popular game. And yeah, this game is just really, really unique, um, is the way I put it. It seems cool so far, but I'm super early. Like, I haven't experienced Mm. any combat or anything. I think it looks like like it's a turn-based combat. and it's basically like a, you play as a couple in this sci-fi world and they're in, a, in an established relationship when you start the game. And I'm thinking, man, how many games do that? Like, there's not many that will... Like, there's games where oh, oh, that's you, true, two, yeah. two characters will get together over the course of it, whatever. But to say at the beginning, this is a, essentially what seems like a boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, um, and they seem to be stranded on some barren planet because they're like on the run from this corporation or something. It's just really, really cool. And it's, I guess the, like, it's just a vibe to it, you know, just to go back to what we talked about Earthblade last week. Like this game has a vibe to it and the music is really, really awesome. Like the, just the music when you f- you're flying, uh, gliding around the world, I'm like, man, like this is just some hmm. awesome music I'd listen to normally. Have to pick it up. But yeah, just... Just that, you know, when you're traversing the world, you're gliding around, you can drift and stuff. And you, if you try, if you glide long enough, your characters actually hold hands when they're doing it. It's just really, really wow. cool. That's awesome. So um, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting more into it. There's actually, I noticed there's some really interesting achievements that are obviously having, you know, having a bit of a laugh. So there's one called Can't Get Wetter. And the description <laughs> is getting handsy uh, under the waterfalls. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. Because you can hold hands in this game if you stand uh, long enough. So I'm like, oh. Awesome. And, and there's another one for, there's an achievement for skinny dipping, apparently. So <laughs> okay. it's pretty funny. But yeah, like that aside, um, I think it seems really cool. But I'm so early, as I said, I haven't even got to combat yet. So, um, 
Speaking oh, of couples, by the way, sorry. Uh, oh. d- I-, I messaged you guys about what my girlfriend said um, when <laughs> when I was talking to her about Mario, and I'm like, man, the original Mario is so hard. It is hard. Yeah, and she's like, oh, maybe you're just not good at games. And I'm like, whoa, really? You're going to say that? She's like, okay, fine, I take it back. You're a good gamer, but Swinney's a better gamer than you. He's got all the achievements. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad she paid attention to some stuff I've been saying. I don't even know how you would determine who's the better gamer among us. I, I know who's the I think we need to get, have a well, game I think it's off. Mike, but... It no, depends. Exactly. No, 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 it's Mike. No, no I don't Mike think so. Mike, easily. Like, no. unless you're playing a fighting game, it's I Mike. Yeah, but that's the point, though. Like, exactly. so, like okay, so... I think we need, we need a, like, an Olympics with platformers. Who would be better, Mike? Or you? Uh, probably Sweeney. I think Swinney would be the yeah. best. But I think just... If you were to take, like, a random game, a challenge game, where you got, okay, ten games, and you each sit down, you don't know what they are, I think... By and large, I think Mike's inherent mm, skills right. are probably. I'm going to go with Swinney. I mean, I mean to be honest, you can actually just determine this in the simplest way possible, which is Mario Party Two. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you're not counting the button mashing, no, 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 I'd Mario Party Two started to get rid of some of the really crazy excessive ones like that. It oh, does have a few it. button mashes. Well, in that the case, button, the button mash, the famous button mashing one that we played with Mike is actually like Mario Party Four. Yeah. So. I think that's oh, the yeah. way we determine it. They got rid of the ones. What they got rid of is not the button machine. They got rid of the, the spinning. The, one, I know. the spinning stick. <laughs> it ripped people's hands. So oh awesome. man, <laughs> some case... awesome videos out there like detailing that whole saga. In case anyone's wondering, I will show off about this. I was able to press the GameCube controller button thirteen times in one second because it was one hundred thirty times for ten seconds, which is. Which actually, because we, uh, you know, and I don't even gonna, know how it's actually physically. We're not going to cover it, but anyway. you know, there's some talk about a new technique on how to play yes. Tetris. So yeah. I don't know why I follow mm. World Championship Tetris. <laughs> I just think it's so awesome that people are still playing this game from like 30 years ago. Um, that video, I think that video just happened to just hit everyone's recommendation. Oh, it's such a good like, video, it right? It's a but great it's video. like it just went massively viral. Yeah, it's and a great then all video. sites picked up on it. So with hyper tapping, you need to be able to press the down at uh, the D pad twelve times at least a second to be able to activate. You know, basically, it's like to thirteen to push ah. between the frames, and that's what I was thinking. Yeah, you could do mm. that, but it's also a nest D uh, pad, which is. Hard it's harder to press, I reckon. I don't yeah, know if it's harder it. than modern ones or not, but it seems like it, it definitely is. is. It definitely is. So yeah, there you go, Mike. You could be a championship Tetris player. I could. I could. I will probably die and never be one, but <laughs> I could, in theory, be one. And was there anything else from you, Swinny? No, that's pretty much it. It's uh, been uh, just a near week. A, a what? A near week. A near week. Oh god, <laughs> a near week in gaming. <laughs> Um, yeah, for me, I finished the main quest of Skyrim. Nice. Oh, yeah, we'll nice. cover it in Very two nice. weeks. We're covering that game in two weeks. Man, you've accomplished something I haven't in... How many years has the game been out for? <laughs> well, 10 years. <laughs> for 10 years, okay. Um, yeah, I got, like, well, I'll obviously say my thoughts. And I'm going to play, you know, more of the side quests and things like that. But hmm. I have to say, when you finish the main quest and the fact that there's no signifier to f- say that you finished the main quest is bizarre to me. Oh, I don't remember that. I mean, it seems it's pretty obvious when it happens. Yeah, but there's no credits or anything. Things. You're just like, 
you, you were left where you were left, and then it's like, okay. <laughs> and then you just, well, like, I, fuck, you just move I on. Think it's, I think it's a microcosm of life, though, if you want to get philosophical about it. Because... <laughs> it's a game, man. <laughs> no, I'm using no, magical no, powers no, and no, swords. No. It's Skyrim not real life. is more than a game. Skyrim is an experience. So I think it's a microcosm of life in, in so much as in life, you do not want to complete the main quest, right? It's all about the side quests. It's all about the, the things you do in between. Yeah, and the well, other things. I, like we'll save it. We'll save quest. it because I've I've got so, I've got an idea about what Skyrim tells us about our personalities as well. Okay, but we'll save it for two yeah, weeks, and then okay, uh, cool. I'm on to Dark Souls. So that's the last Ooh, game I need to complete. Nice. The game of some some other. Year are you starting again, or no, are you no, just no, going to no. try to continue <clears throat> whatever character you have? No, no, no. no I no. find it so hard sometimes to start again. In that game. It, yeah, it, there's a bit of rust. So yeah. I'm getting smashed by the Black Knight now. I've gone back to the Undead Asylum. Yeah. So that was a bad place to stop the playing the oh, game. Oh, very bad place. Because <laughs> it's hard. Because also Cause the stray demon at the <laughs> beneath yeah. the floor. I'm like, oh my god. So, so are you? Uh, how comfortable are you with parrying at this point? Oh yeah, yeah. But I've been doing that from the start, though. But that's what I'm saying. Like, essentially, that's the, the that's like a cheat code for the Black Knights. Yeah. Uh, okay. Why? Well, I, I reckon a cheat code is just to go behind them. They I don't, don't even get do you. that actually. Like the backstabbing. Yeah, okay. the backstabbing's. The ba- the backstabbing like code. is yeah that that will work but I mean if you get once you really get the handle of because um, honestly the, especially the sword black knights they're the very easy they to time, yeah. yeah they telegraph them so easily mm. for parries um, mm. more so than probably any other enemy in the game um, and that's why you know something we can't talk about because you haven't got up to there any enemies with that kind of attack pattern, it's almost like, okay, well, this is where you learn how to parry. So mm. once you get up to there, we'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah, I'm still loving the game. It's just, like, it is hard to play with my lifestyle just because I have to drop things all the time. And the game is not very uh, conducive to being stopped randomly. Actually, not just randomly, on that. but you, you can. You, I mean, at least it's got, you know, save and continue functionality. Unlike yeah, but it takes eternal. time. It takes time. But um, actually, on that... Mike, if you press the power button on the switch with Dark Souls, does it just it just pauses it, right? Just pauses it, yeah. Yeah, damn. I almost wish I was playing it on the switch. Yeah. It's thirty frames it, per second, right? That's the yeah. yeah I, so I played through most of most of it, as in including through most of the DLC and stuff on the switch. Um, and if that's the only experience you knew, it's fine. But once you go sixty, oh, yeah. it's so hard to go back to the switch now. I think I had the worst introduction to Dark Souls ever. So there was a test. It was called a network test, but mm-hmm. I just treated it like a demo. But it was mm-hmm. a network test for Dark Souls oh, when it yes, launched I remember that. Yep. on the Switch. Yep. <clears throat> and now when I think back and I remember which what the enemy was. So you start in this area, you're given like nothing. And the Undead Parish. Yeah. And yeah, the Undead Parish. And then I'm like, oh, there's a tower. Okay, I'll just go up the spiral <laughs> tower. I'll get to the top and this really big dude. I'm like, who the hell is this? And now it's a Dark Knight or Black Knight. <laughs> And I just got walloped straight away. I'm like, this game is ridiculous. This game is the most idiotic game I've ever played. <laughs> like, that was, like, such a dumb network test, honestly. Uh, no, but the reason yeah. that you chose that area is because that's a very PvP area. I know, but so it's that's... not no. It's like random people like me are going to play it and go, this game's shit. Yeah, but they didn't call it a demo, so you can't at least say they, they positioned it in that way. doesn't matter. It's, the medium is the message, Swinney. The medium is the message. Fair enough, fair enough. But, um, but yeah, like I look at it now, and I, honestly, like I think it would have put me off the game forever. So I'm so glad I've played it, because it's a fantastic game. And the other one is, I keep going back to this, and I'm actually going to try to go back to Dark Souls, is Monster Hunter Rise. 
you know, like now that I've got through the Switch games that I have, just mm. playing that when I can on the Switch, and man, that game is so good. Like, Swinny, there... we're going to play it. We're going to play co-op, man. Are there any yeah. pre-owned copies available? Does he say anywhere? no? Did Swinny just say no? I, said, I think he did. I said, yeah, but oh, okay. like, you've got to beat Dark Souls first. So. Oh, um, what? <laughs> like, look at this. He's like holding well, your answer. No, you said from the beginning, like, you get through Ghost Soy and then we'll play Dark Souls. I know, I know, I know. And then the last thing is I just wanted to share a very Mike story. So mm-hmm. as part of my Dirty Dozen... I'm just showing it on the screen now. Uh, I need to play The Witcher 3 this year, and I wanted to take advantage of the cross-saves and so you could play on the Switch and the PC. That's going to be very helpful for me because I have long train rides. Uh, but the only problem that I had was one of the stores had Witcher 3, and then the other store had New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, which I like playing, oh, and it's yeah. good with the kids and stuff. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to put my full mic mode on. So, I so call- this is for the two for one. Yeah, yeah. Deal. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a key element. So to get this at half price, you need to buy two. Mm. And then it's whatever the highest price of one of the games is. And, you know, it's much better price than I've ever seen on eBay or anything like that. So, mm. you know, very Especially good. Especially for a first party. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can always much. return it if something goes wrong. Anyway, mm. so I bought it. And like I spoke to them beforehand. Essentially, I bought it from one store. Mm then went to the other store and returned that game. Yeah, that's what I did as well. And then yeah. bought the other two, and it was like, bang, yeah. done. And they were cool with it. I was like, wow. I didn't even have to return it. I did exactly the same thing because I got... Um... Well, in the system, they return it. But like for me, it was just like... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. She just, just processed like, the, the other game. one, and then she's like, yeah. oh, here's the difference. Yeah, I did the same. It was so cool, I have to admit. Like, you know, they get a lot of uh, a lot of flack EB games for a lot of things, and some are justified, no doubt. But at the same time, they actually have pretty good deal sometimes sometimes they have the cheapest games like this deal is by far the cheapest way to get yeah. those games yeah, yeah. shout, shout out anywhere. to the eb games workers out there you know, there's, oh, there's a lot of great I've great people never had stores. crap workers at eb games yeah i think we're all pro eb honestly maybe we hate you know as part of the company sometimes and some of their some of their practices and and you know the fact that everything's rrp but they've had they've got every right to put games at rrp that's, a business. that's the whole point of it it's a business don't shop there if you don't so, and, and to be honest exactly. like even the EB that I go to now when I talk to them, they're just like, just show us the price of the game somewhere else and we'll just yeah, match it. And they do it, yeah. Like, mm, okay. And look, sometimes, and depends depends on the manager, sometimes they, they were a little flaky as in, oh, no, that's a different edition than ours. Ours comes with blah, and it's literally the same <laughs> pre-order, thing. Yeah, no. A different a pre-order pin. code and then they refuse to do it. Like, <laughs> come on, I don't want the pre-order code then. Just give me the game at yeah. the same price. But generally the people have been really, really good. And yeah, I did exactly the same thing with Final Fantasy. I bought it from one store and the guy's like, just go to a different store, take the game with you, pick a different game, and they'll just give you the game for free, basically. And that's exactly what they did. So I got Planetscape Torment. That's um, cool, man. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah, I was very close Good to deal. getting Final Fantasy VII Remake and Dead Red, De- Red Dead Redemption 2. I would have gotten those if you can. They're brilliant games, both They're of them. Good. Yeah, but I just got so many games on my backlog. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. So it's just like, and I don't have that much time to play games in reality. Yeah, Look how long it's taken me to get through the game of some other year games. I'm still it impressed. All, I'm it still also, very impressed. It also wouldn't surprise me if there's a new, like, next-gen version of Red Dead 2 that, mm. I don't know, gets put out that's, like, not for free. It's, like, a much more of an upgrade. It wouldn't yeah. surprise They'd me. They'd be punks if they do that. Well, Especially because uh, they haven't really added anything to the to the main game. They've they've mostly been what I'm assuming focusing on the online component, right? I I, I, I agree. I agree with Swinny. Like I also thought, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to get Final Fantasy VII remake, and then 
two months later, it's going to be on Game Pass for free for PC. <laughs> the, you know, up version. I'm like, nah, I'm going to like hold off. What am I doing here? Maybe, but they're both cheap copies, aren't they? Like how much are they individually? It was 22 each. It worked out to be. Yeah, that's fine. No, but look, look, look. This is the if thing. you play it. I'm trying to look at it as like, yeah. it needs to be in the window of when I'm realistically going to play it. And realistically, mm. I'm not going to pick up these games. Mm. I'm going to play Final Fantasy VII before Seven Remake. So, yeah. yeah I'm not going to play Seven and then Remake straight after it. I'm probably going to give it a year or something. So, yeah. yeah. I was good with your resolution. <laughs> All right, let's move into the news. Uh, so this week we had the state of play, which ended up being really uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart state of play. And you, this this state of play was about 15 minutes from memory and went into very much detail into what the game looks like, some of the mechanics of the game, uh, much more about Rivet. I don't know if you guys remembered, but Rivet really, no one really, like they hadn't said almost anything about this character. So there was a lot of speculation about what Rivet was and who Rivet was. Uh, so that was sort of revealed in this gameplay trailer. And this was extremely, extremely well received amongst the community. And and for me, at least, you know, very much like a true next gen looking game and very much probably replacing Dark Souls for me as like the best looking next gen game. Demon Souls. Demon Souls. Good correction. Instant correction. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I wanted to get you, your guys' thoughts on it and then also... Um, you know, are you going to pick it up, Mike? I know Swinney won't because he won't buy a PS3, a uh, PS5 until he buys a PS3 and then a PS4. So, like, this game for me was one of the ones I'm keeping my eye on, and I think I'm mm. it's becoming a day one purchase for me. How about you, Mike? Oh man, so I've never played the the previous ones, but this looks really cool. And did you um, pick up the free one right. on PS4? Nope, did not. Huh? Uh, oh, sorry. Was maybe free. I did, I just never played it. Yeah, because um, they just but, did a 60 FPS upgrade on it. Ah, nice. Maybe yeah. I should play that first then. But no, this game looks fantastic. Um, gameplay looks really good. The The world looks really, really cool. So it might be one of those, I don't intend to get it, but then you'll get it and I'll get it at launch and then just sink many hours into it because mm. it looks so cool. I think like w- one thing, I'll throw this one in a second, but for me, the one thing when I was watching the state of play, I'm not sure if you watched it all, but it was one component where Ratchet like, latches onto like the rifts and pulls it towards himself and it's like the whole world moves and it, i don't know to me it's like when i saw the animation I, it just felt like i'd never seen an animation like that it was like so smooth and so like i don't know it just looked insane like to me it was probably the first time i've ever seen something next gen where i was like wow okay that actually looks insanely impressive do you know do you know the part i'm talking about swinney yeah, I mean that that showed off that kind of thing in the early stuff, but don't don't not, limit my enjoyment here. Not in this, <laughs> not in such a big chunk of gameplay, um, and especially in this area. So they're showing off a lot more of this specific nefarious city area, um, and whereas before, a lot of the stuff we'd seen is kind of looked like it was in the same kind of slice of gameplay. That um, so it was good to see much new places and new areas in the game because by all accounts these games you know quite varied in locations um and i guess in general look this is this looks absolutely fantastic um they obviously have to balance two very specific audiences you know they've got the the ratchet and clank fans and then they've got the people that 
have never played a single Ratchet and Clank game, and they're looking to to play a next gen game on the PS5 because mm. we know that, especially you know, like obviously Xbox has no next gen games really, but you know, on the PS5, people are wanting new games, games that they can't experience on the older platforms. And as someone that's never played any Ratchet and Clank games, like I'm almost like I felt like okay, if I had a PS5 right now. What am I thinking when I'm watching this? And what I came out of it was, man, this is the game I'd want to buy for my PS5. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, it looks absolutely awesome. Um, and I know that they did the Ratchet and Clank animated movie, and I don't know how this compares to it, but just the even the in-game cutscenes, the animation and the quality of the models is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's... It's kind of wild. Like this is this is where we're at with gaming. It's kind it's of insane. Nuts. I remember when you'd watch FMVs and you go, "Yeah, that's an FMV. That's not gameplay." Obviously, now gameplay is way way better than the FMVs back in those days. Like you know, like if you were to compare, I don't know, some of the Final Fantasies, and I remember when we would play the the old ones back way back. And the Ooh. FMVs were just insane. But you knew that was an FMV. They couldn't achieve anything like that with gameplay. Whereas now you look at something like like Ratchet and Clank and you think, man, this is like just insanely beyond any FMV that you used to get even like 10 years ago. And it's actual real-time gameplay. It's nuts. Just looks so good. And the gameplay looks really cool too. So, Well, yeah, because even the transition between gameplay and, you know, cinematic footage, it looks like mm-hmm. they've rendered it. I don't know. It looks like they've paid really careful attention on the transition renders. Yeah. Really tried to make the lighting and everything match as much as possible the cinematics to the in-game play gameplay. But that's because it's the cinematics are actual running through the engine, aren't they? Are they? I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I really? Trans- yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it yeah. transitions. Holy straight. moly! There was a really when he lands that when this uh, the ship lands really? on the planet and there's like a transition from the cinematic yeah, yeah. of the ship landing and stuff and it goes straight into the gameplay. Yeah, I think that all to me, at least from what I saw, it looked like it was just real time cinematics. It's, yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's the that's what I took away. Like they Crazy definitely transitioned detail. straight yeah. to gameplay. There may be some cases where they have done like some big story beats with, that are rendered. You mm. know, maybe using the in game and as you said, intercot maybe with some you know very specific shaders. So that may still happen, but from a lot of what they showed in this state of play. They were, tra- they were changing straight back and forth between gameplay and cutscene. Well, like, I'm impressed regardless from a technical point of view, right? Like, an interested, but in the reality is, like, I think we're all very pedantic with this kind of stuff, and I think all of us just felt that it was completely seamless, just, mm. like, the way it all played out and played through, like, in terms of cinematics mm. to gameplay to, you know, story beats and everything. It Yeah, I, I think you summed it up really well, Swinny, where I think folk who are... Probably a lot of people bought Returnal as well because they're like, I want to get a game that you can't get anywhere Me. else. That's good. Um, and what or game has that really good? been? Like, know. I know Miles Morales has sold like crazy, but it is more Spider-Man really. Demon Souls remake of, you know, the PS3 game. This is a game, you know, and same as Returnal, but I think this game, people are looking at it and just you know, I showed my wife this game and she thought it was a movie or something like that. And to your <laughs> point before, Swinny, I was looking, I was actually watching part of the Ratchet and Clank movie. It Honestly, like, it, it's amazing. It's like five years later and it's, it almost looks the same. Like, it's hard to even really tell the difference. Like, I honestly thought that they were pre-rendered, those cinematic scenes that you guys are talking about. 
But I could believe that it's in-game. It looks so incredible. It's in-game, yeah. And um, I, the the environments are so cool as well. It just just the contrast in that in that video between the cityscape. I forget the name of that that city that you guys mentioned. Nefarious. Nefarious, yeah. Nefarious city. And then it goes into the natural, more jungly sort of environment. That's so cool. Like just it was actually a really good choice to, to showcase those two environments that are they're quite contrasting in terms of the veget one has vegetation, one has a lot of tech, sort of cyberpunkish feel. Really good choice, I think. And honestly, like graphics aside, it just looks like fun to play. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's the fact really that fun, they've yeah. added more, like a lot more mobility to this. And again, I can't reference the past games, but what they'll say in the video is that you know that they're adding more like traversal things, like wall running and stuff. So I take that as a new addition um, mm. based on what they said, and it looks just looks really, really mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and it's just what they're doing with the. Dual sense adaptive triggers um, sounds awesome. Again, like in in reality, I haven't experienced that stuff yet in let's say Astro's Playroom. But by all accounts, you know if they're applying similar tech to Ratchet, and I believe that Team Sobe ten tends to like share a lot of that stuff between yeah. the Sony Studios, um, then should be for a treat from that standpoint as well. Yeah, it does look fun. Like, and for me, I think this will come at a good time. So this is coming out on the eleventh of June. Um, and then that sort of is post our wrap up of of the Go Soy games, and so hopefully have time to play. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think. Although Mass I, Effect is also coming up, but you're not going to get that at launch. So, well, so yeah, I'm close to actually because yeah, sixty nine is it? Yeah, I don't feel like it's going to be cheaper than that for a while. You know, mm. and uh, but like, this, oh, this is going to take take the the cake, right? What's well, the expression I'm looking for? Yeah, this is the one you want to get. Well, yeah, you know what? But one thing that that may be a determining factor for me is because this is a PS5 exclusive. What's happening in Australia? It's kind of weird where games that are coming out on the PS4 are still getting competed down to you know seventy, eighty dollars if it's PS4 and PS5. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's PS5 exclusive, it's like you're lucky to get it for like a hundred bucks Australian. Mm. Like lucky to get it, and I feel like Ratchet and Clank. I don't know, man. I reckon the cheapest you'll get it, it's like 110 yeah, in Australia. Be. I might look it up, actually. So that, that and honestly, I don't know why, but it, it really is like a bit of a factor for me. It's just like, it, it's such a jump in Australia versus like mm. the US where, you know, they've gone up from 60 to 70 US dollars. Um, and whereas- you are right, by the way. It seems like most stores are showing 108 for Harvey Norman, I was Game Shop 106, so hmm. I think yeah. you're right. It's going to be one of those 109 at JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, and so for like US listeners, that works out to be about 77 US dollars, like, and that's not including taxes. So that because they don't include taxes in their prices. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a it's it's a bit of a shame that we've gone from it definitely being cheaper than US prices to now being more expensive. Like we've had the rubber the green with PS4, and now we're getting the back end of the stick for hmm. PS5, but. I don't know if I see this on sale somehow, or one of your dodgy tricks I might take advantage of that and try to get it because um, it does look pretty cool. And then uh, the other thing I just wanted to mention with this state of play was that Among Us is announced for PS4 and PS5. Uh-huh. Cool, yes. and I think didn't they have some kind of Ratchet and Clank like? Uh, didn't they show that yeah. there's like a like a skin? 
yeah, skin or something. That's cool. That, yeah. That's a that's a neat little way to link it in. They said they were going to cover another game. I don't know what that was. Did you Subnautica? But oh, like okay. all of that stuff was already known. It was just that there's a PS5 version of Subnautica one, oh, cool. and then the new Subnautica is coming out as well. I think the upgrades. Uh, I would have written it down, but I think the upgrades coming on the same day or around the same time as the cool. new Subnautica. So. Yeah, it's interesting with Among Us. I don't like it's dropped off a lot on popularity, but like still very popular with some people. A bit like Fall Guys. Um, you know, I, I think with these games, it's a shame that they weren't all cross-platform because I feel like there was probably more likely that they would have had more staying power. Because um, even Fall Guys, I know for Xbox and Switch has been pushed out to maybe even next year at the way rate it's going, uh, which is a bit of a shame. All right, let's move on to our next story. The ACCC is uh, now a very interesting player in the Apple and Google versus Epic Games. And then the ACCC just itself, uh, you know, turning the heat up on Apple and Google. So, you know, we wanted to cover this because it's going to cover a few different things around gaming, really. Like, and the reality is we're a gaming podcast that doesn't cover the number one gaming platform in the world, which is mobile gaming. And Intego, can I ask what the ACCC is? Yes, and I should say, people should call it the ACCC. I do see a lot of people online saying the ACCC. Uh, <laughs> so it's the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Uh, there was a similar, there is one in, in England, and there's one that's sort of similar, but it got depowered under Trump in the US. But essentially, it's a government body, a regulatory body that looks at competition within Australia. And really, the ACCC is the reason why Australia, in my estimation, has the most pro-consumer laws in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go back to, and, and, you know, I know that you covered this in your notes, uh, Swinney, just around Steam and, you know, the policies around Steam and refunding on Steam really sort of kick-started in Australia. Steam and Valve in general like to try to simplify things. They don't like having different policies in different countries. And because of the way that Australia worked with its laws, even if you bought a digital game that's defective, you have to have a right to refund it. And they've fined, you know, Valve in the past and Sony in the past for mis- uh, for like mistakes in this space, uh, indiscretions in this space. So Steam actually changed their whole policy on their whole store to make it so that there's a two-hour window where you can return a game, like two weeks and two hours. And that seemed to satisfy the ACCC as well. Um, so, like, the ACCC, I'm a big fan of them in general. You know, through my work, we deal with them in, to some degree. And there's often, like, thought uh, where I work around interpretations of what the ACCC will look at certain things. So it's certainly a body that does have an impact in Australia where people do actually think of the consumer, think of competition, think of anti-competitive behavior, monopoly behavior, things like that. So there was a report into digital products, digital platforms. It's been going on for five years now, and they had their second report come out, and it was quite scathing and quite dramatic, really, for Apple and Google. And and the crux of it really is that they view generally um, the fact that Apple, especially probably Apple more so than Google, um, can force people to have default apps, force people to only use their app platform, their app store as in general anti-competitive. And I think the one that's the most interesting is they're pretty much dead set against the fact that once you have an app on your phone and it's there, that you have to only use, you know, say Apple's mechanisms 
to buy in-game currency or to trade inside of the app. So that's probably the biggest thing that they're damning of. So much so that they are, you know, it's tipped to, and, you know, the Australian Financial Review is like very, very good newspaper, uh, very similar to the Wall Street Journal in America or the Times in, uh, in, in England. They are tipped to say that the ACCC will be joining Epic Games in the federal lawsuit in Australia that Epic has against Apple and Google, which is, and, and they'll be joining the lawsuit as a witness for Epic Games, which is, like insane if that happens it's that will huge, be yeah. huge and I, th- I think we covered it we've covered it like i think four times this battle between pretty much apple versus epic games and you know i sort of said like australia is very pro-consumer i thought it was a really smart move to sue in australia because the especially the the forcing people to use apple to buy in-game currency just like doesn't doesn't compute in Australian law. Like there's so many examples yeah. of where these things have been shut down in Australia, where people have tried to do things like that. The banks have people tried should to do be given like a choice where they want to blow and waste all their money. <laughs> yeah, where the whales can blow. Yeah, they want twenty percent off on their virtual currency. God damn it, they entitled. God them. damn it, we got to give them option to waste their money in this country. Now, like, and I've gone on a long rant, um, but the last thing I just wanted to throw in there was. You know, and we didn't cover it because it sort of, it didn't impact us and it's not gaming specifically related, but there's, there was a lot of um, pressure from the Australian government on essentially, you know, Google and Facebook predominantly, uh, how they were using news and Australian news and were they paying for news or were they not? And then as a result of that, you saw Facebook turn off tens of hundreds of thousands of Australian pages (laughs) Within a split second. And it actually also, it was meant to only be news, uh, like pages. So, you know, things like Sydney Morning Herald, which is a big newspaper in Australia, they had their whole, you know, news component on Facebook shut down. So they weren't distributing any news on Facebook after that decision by Facebook, unilateral decision by Facebook. But actually also they shut down emergency services, like government agencies, health providers it was insane in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic right and with no warning no warning at all like when i woke up my twitter feed was exploding with people like gaming news sites in australia were shut down um and i I just throw that in there because apple and google make a monster amount of profit on in-app purchases and they will be more than willing to press the nuclear button on australia because again Australia is a small little country in a huge world. We probably make up 1% of GDP worldwide. So Apple, in my determination, would be more than happy to lose Australia than create a concertina effect where Australia creates these type of laws and then other countries start to go, well, Australia's done that and look what's happened there and we should adopt it. And Europe would be the next domino to fall if something like that happened, especially that both of those companies aren't European companies. I, I just think, you know, with this lawsuit and what the HBC are saying, wow, like Apple and Google are willing to play as hard as possible. I, I, and I'm, I'm saying this right now, I reckon Apple would be happy to pull the iPhone out of Australia. Like that's how serious they would take something like this. Now, the last thing I'll say, and I'll throw to you, Sweeney. That's a big call. Wow. Uh, like, like, it's, like I said, it's 1%. 
It's one percent of their market. If this means there's a probability that they're going to have a dip of ten percent in their profit long term because yeah. of this, Sacrifices like it's pretty easy made. decision. I mean, like it's that's ruthless business talk. Plus, that's they the know reality. that they know that people. I mean, I don't know what the consequences ultimately are, but they know that people can still what do great imports anyway. So yeah. So I, like the last thing I just wanted to say is that the ACCC have shot a warning shot across the bow of Apple and Google. They haven't actually said they're going to join their case with Epic and they've said that they're going to give it 12 months to determine what they do. So this is something that the ACCC does. They fire a warning shot and then if people don't respond, they do something. So it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens in Australia. So Swinney, like what have I missed and what do you want to add? No, I just want to say that some of the, I guess, measures that they've actually suggested as part of this is, and I have a question about one of these, but that consumers can rate and review all apps that consumers can change any pre-installed app. So you did mention um, some of that, that the data collected by Apple and Google as marketplace operators are ring-fenced from all their other operations so that they can't use that for competitive Mm. advantage. And the one that is most relevant, as you said, is that app developers can provide alternative payment options to consumers. So there, I didn't go read the full report, so that's more so just the summary from the uh, ACCC's media release. But my question about that is that the consumers can rate review all apps. Is that because people can't currently rate review, let's say, Apple apps yeah. that are pre-installed? Oh, fair enough. Yeah, there's yeah, a whole bunch I, of apps I don't, you can't review. I kind oh, of, okay. look, I get and I don't get that. I mean, do you need to review find my iPhone? Like, is that really a requirement? Do you need to be able to uninstall an app like that? I mean, it's to me, to me, there needs to be, there needs to be some leeway in the sense that an operating system has core apps and functionality that is part of that operating system by so, design. And removing and forcing a manufacturer to remove those things doesn't make sense in all well, cases. So there must be some sort of leeway, right? I I imagine that, um, I, again, I haven't read the actual full report, but I think that they, I imagine they would probably clarify that where it's things like, messaging services, things that are That's not, what I mean. There's not be maybe key stuff like to that, yeah. the actual operation of the, of the app store or the device yeah. um, that you just cannot, you know, there's no either no alternative or you can't uh, remove it, you know, you're forced to use it and stuff like that. And, and I but, mean, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, I, I do have a lot of Apple stuff, but I'm not a big fan of Apple uh, at the moment under Tim Cook's leadership. But um you know, they have made pretty good strides to do a lot of good things in this space. Like I have uninstalled most of the default apps on my iPhone. I don't have Apple Maps on my iPhone. It's uninstalled. Yeah, same. Like there's a whole host of stuff that I've uninstalled. <laughs> dude, dude, so. Oh my God, Like I don't want to get rant on about that. But that's one thing that I'm glad you can uninstall because yeah. the number of times it's led me to a road that's completely closed off. Yes, I know, end. I know. Like legit, it's happened to me three times and then I went, screw this and I uninstalled the app. Yeah, so, I think it's one of those things that works much better in America. I'm sure they've improved it as well now. Yeah, yeah but so one, back then it was once horrible. you're in Australia, they just don't have people over here to complain about it. So so the one thing I just wanted to kind of um, just bring up as well is, so you mentioned that, you know, that you think Apple would rather pull out, you know, over the Australian market just obviously because of the market share, you know, like we are nothing on the global market. Um, yeah. I I know it's a different situation, but I remember a lot of people saying that that's probably what Steam was going to do when that whole refund thing was happening. And then they obviously then that didn't happen. So I wonder if, yeah, like, do you think that 
is there a precedent for that not being the case with that refund policy where it's like, okay, well, Steam didn't pull out, but yeah, I don't know. My analysis wouldn't have been that Steam would have pulled out, and it's easy to say that because that didn't happen, right? But when you look at it, refunds are actually not a huge component of your business. And a lot of companies without legislation offer refunds because, so look at Amazon. Amazon are extremely generous with refunds, even above Australian standard law, right? So in the US, they offer better than Australian standard refund policies, right? So part of refunding is just better customer experience. So if someone on Steam buys something, refunds it within an hour because they're like, this is just a piece of shit, the trailer, the advertising is crap. In in a way, like in the long run, it actually helps correct the market a bit, right? And mm. I don't think from an economic point of view, Steam is necessarily losing more money. I mean, it's probably marginal. Whereas in-app purchases, that that's that's it, it'd be like I, I say it like this: if the ACCC said to Steam, you need to move your you know pricing down so that you know developers get ninety percent share. Like, yeah, maybe Steam would pull out, maybe, right? Mm. Because maybe it becomes a bit of a loophole for them and more developers try to list apps through Australia and all this other kind of crap, right? But refunds, I don't think that was necessarily going to blow up their business, but in-app purchases is one of the core parts of Apple's business. And when you look at it, it's like it's like free money for them, legitimately. Like Fortnite, what are they producing, creating? Like it's literally using market power to generate money. They're generating 30%, like 30 cents in a dollar for practically doing nothing. And Epic Games is doing all the work in terms of getting people interested and getting them to want to buy V-Bucks or whatever they're called and use that in in in-game stuff. So, Hmm. yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought that Steam would have ever pulled out because of the refund policy. But you can also look at, I mean, on that topic with Epic Games, you can also look at they're clearly not happy with just the 70% that they get. They want more. They want the full 100%, right? No, no. So, well, I mean, to correct that, that's not true. I mean, Tim Sweeney has said mm-hmm. he feels that 12% is a fair number, and that's what they said for the Epic Game Store on PC. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, no, no, I just, I just, I just, I just think, do, do Apple really take such a huge cut that companies have a problem with it obviously of course they do because otherwise they wouldn't have we would be having this chat right the amount of so clearly they think it's too much that passes through apple the amount of money that was passing through Fortnite, 100 percent, they would have yeah of course they would yeah you're talking about probably hundreds of millions i'd assume at that percentage yeah and you know like on this mic there's been a lot of studies in game theory um where if you have a scenario where you put two people in a room and then give one person the power to distribute you know, uh, food, right? Now, the parameters are one person determines the split, mm-hmm. the other person determines whether the deal is taken, and if they say no, no one gets food, right? Over, over different cultures, different people, everything, right? What mm-hmm. it's shown is if person A who determines the splits takes 70% and gives 30% to the other person, most people take that deal, Right? Anything less than that, if they if they take 80% and 20, they get 20, they go, oh, no, forget about it. I'm not taking anything. <laughs> but in general, most people, over time, the number is 70-30, right? It's a weird thing that happens, like with game theory. It's just human nature that, you know, 50-50 is the fairest way, you know, if you take a bit more. So there is some weird inherent thing in human nature where maybe in this case, the right number is more like 15% that Apple takes. 
Mm. They take a bit more and developers are like, yeah, what else can we do? You know, yeah, we feel a bit ripped off, but it's not egregious, you know, in this case. So I think there's a bit of an element of that. I, I do think there's going to be a downward trend in that space. There always is a downward trend in those kind of things. Well, we'll the only we'll cover upward that trend shortly, is in, uh, in eBay where the fees are now close to, what, 30%. Well, they have more market power. They just keep going up. That's that's competition. That's what happens when you have a lack of competition. Or lack thereof, yeah. yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to cover with this, Swinney? No, look, I think that's... Obviously, this is pretty tenuous to gaming at this point, but it could become massive for gaming in the future. So that's... And we're Aussies. We really wanted to talk about the ACCC. So. Yeah, yeah. And I love the ACCC. I think they're really good. They don't I get a tattoo on my lower back. They're pretty good. And if they join their case, man... I actually want to see how it works to go to the federal court. I want to actually visit the federal court. I want to get a signature from Rod Sims. <laughs> no, legit, guys. I'll, I will, On your butt cheek. If I can find out, if I can go into the session in the federal court when they have this case, I'm going to find out and then take a day off work and drive to Canberra and, and check it out. If that's where Jeez. they're hosting it. Wow. I think it would be cool. I don't know. Yeah, actually, well, you, can, you can wear a little tag. You can wear a little tag that says you're part, you're part of the media. The media. Yeah. <laughs> Technically right. true. That Technically would, true. That would be a sight. That would be a sight. <laughs> I will legit do it. I'll find out yeah, after this awesome. where the case is being held. All right, cool. Let's move on to another cheery uh, story. Uh, so during the week, there was actually leaked documents from EA around FIFA 21 and pre- predominantly around their FIFA Ultimate Team uh, game mode, which is realistically a bit of a gambling loot box mechanic that's in that game. And Completely puts me off that game. Uh, so FIFA games, obviously, uh, paid seventy US dollar games now, but the FIFA Ultimate Team component of the FIFA games is still where they make their bread and butter. Uh, and and so during the week, there was actually amazing reporting from CBC. So that's a, a Canadian news network uh, who leaked and actually published a couple of pages of these documents. Uh, so these are internal documents. By the way, very, very well branded internal documents. <laughs> I was pretty impressed with uh, what, how they go about things internally at uh, nice EA. Nice yeah, <laughs> very professional. Very professional. We, li- we like a good slide deck font. Clearly, <laughs> in this no, we do. It's it's good when they when they're in brand. I'll bring it up on the screen yeah. now. Um, but yeah, like I was actually impressed. I was like, wow, these this is if this is just like a a general marketing sort of internal thing, man. These guys are on top of uh, their shit and obviously making billions. <laughs> So I actually want to hand to you, Swinney, to go through this because I don't want to colour the take on this too much. Yeah, so basically the documents essentially are... At the time when they were leaked, there wasn't much context really, although if you actually read some of like the notes below and the notes on the side of the slides, it becomes clear, but not everyone's going to pay attention to that. They pay attention to headlines, which is essentially that all roads lead to FIFA Ultimate Team and the fact that, you know... Shock horror, EA is wanting to drive people from their main modes to FIFA Ultimate Team um, and funnel players to that. And funnel is obviously a very corporate term and a very marketing term. Mm. Um, And the fact that players will be actively messaged and incentivized to convert throughout the summer. Now, that particular line will is a thing that we'll we'll cover in a (laughs) second. And the other kind of key line that... um, And these spread across the the two different slides honestly but the fifa ultimate team is the cornerstone and we're doing everything we can to drive players there so similar you know the whole funneling thing um and this kind of blew up in a way that honestly surprised me because 
this is like the most obvious thing ever. It's like, <laughs> okay. well, of course, this is where FIFA Ultimate Teams, you know, EA are a business and they're one of the most businessy gaming businesses possible in terms of just the way they operate or in the way they, you know, that they present themselves. So no, no shit that they're trying to drive people to the mode where people are spending microtransactions. Do I like it? No, I'm not going to touch these games ever because of that crap. Mm. But to act like it's some big news is like, wow, you know, the, to me the news is more so in EA's response around it. Um, so EA did, has, they kind of, they responded and there's also been, uh, there's an interview games industry got beers with their VP of brand as well about it. But essentially they said that, you know, that, they called it sensationalized reporting. Um, so they're always looking for opportunities to introduce players to modes in our games. Bitch, and, our FIFA, and our FIFA players are expecting fresh content that makes the service exciting. So it's a constant focus for us. And as part of the games industry is they clarify, uh, interview, they clarify that a lot of that updated fresh content is what, you know, that's where FIFA Ultimate Team, you know, that's where they add the content essentially to that mode. Um, but the big thing and... and this is a thing that is the most absolute good crap is that they insisted that they do not push people to spend in their games, which if you, you're a gamer, <laughs> you're a gamer has actually a really good write up where they kind of break it out. Super biased, but it still has some good call outs and they show us the current home screen of FIFA 21. And it's just all FIFA ultimate team. Like the, it's the ridiculous. Like it's fuck, fuck you. EA seriously. Yeah. That's all so I can say. that statement like is the most absolute fucking bullshit, but the main thing I wanted to call it before I, I guess give, get to you guys with your thoughts was the if we've all worked on no doubt you know slide decks that yeah. are kind of you know <laughs> similar in many it's half ways of my my week yeah. yeah exactly and if you were to take random slides out of slide decks I've done without context oh it's bad it's like of course and what I take issue with was I do think the reporting on this was was bullshit initially because that whole incentivize to convert and is about, you know, and you read it in the slides was it's not, Oh, incentivize to convert people to spending money in FIFA ultimate team. They are actually talking about converting people from FIFA 20 to 21. Like that's actually sure. what the focus of this slide deck is. Cause if you read the notes, FIFA 21 announced cover reveal yeah. uh, on the sides, uh, run up to FIFA 21. So I, what, now, uh, to ask the gaming, you know, fandom and and people out there to not take things out of context is impossible. I understand that, <laughs> but i I don't like the fact that this stuff is often presented out of context. But that, yeah, that line we do not push people to spend our games is the biggest load of shit. So that's yeah, I don't know. Who wants to go first with their thoughts on this? Yeah, I'll just jump in because it's probably a counterpoint to Mike's and yours, but. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree with that component. I, I feel that, you know, and, and I'm probably more like centrist compared to you guys, but I do find a lot of games media, I don't know what's happening, but it's becoming very politically opinionated. And I feel like there's some kind of like idea in their minds where they need to be the arbiters to balance out the force. It's like, gaming companies are now the Sith and they're the Jedi and they need to bring balance and order to the universe. You know, and I really like Jason Schreier, but even during the week there was an article and I was like, dude, this is like so loaded. Like he is, you know, calling Cyberpunk 2077 a flop. Like it's ridiculous. And I totally agree that the coverage of this is, you don't need to put source on this. 
it's like it is what it is. And if that's shocking to some people, it's going to be shocking. But you don't need to manipulate it and try to add to it by, you know, picking up things like incentivized to convert and then try to say that that is converting people to FIFA Ultimate Team, where in the exact same document, they say FIFA Ultimate Team is the cornerstone of everything we do, (laughs) right? Like you don't need to try to push the envelope too hard on framing it, which is correct, which is all they care about is trying to get more money off people. And I don't know. I know you guys hate this, but who cares? That's what they do. If you don't like it, don't get the game. I don't play FIFA. I would actually love to play FIFA if it didn't have this crap, right? But the reality is the amount of people like me who don't play this game because of the shitty loot boxes and monetization just completely outweighs the fact that there's a hell of a lot of people that will play it anyway. So it's not going to make more money by getting rid of it and then bringing back people like me. Well, what you just said is exactly my thoughts. Like, mm. I'm, it's not counting me. That's okay. exactly my thoughts. Yeah. Everything there. So, And look, like everything in here, I was like, mm, like this, this, I, I, if I was a shareholder, I'd go, great. <clears throat> That's your job. <laughs> this is what you're meant to do. We're not giving you money as a charity to make an Indian game. It's like, this is a money making beast. God, if they saw internal documents I've worked on, and no doubt the same for you guys, people would be like, "What the fuck? This this company's out to make money, and they treat they treat their customers as numbers on a spreadsheet." Yes, that's business. It sucks yeah. sometimes, but, it but it's business. Suck. No, I said sometimes it yeah, sucks, sure, sure. but that is business. That's that's capitalism. It is what it is. That's how the world turns. You yeah. know, for these for-profit businesses at least. So and, Absolutely. And, and I think the, the world isn't, you know, it's not indie developers making games in garages anymore like it was back in the 80s and 90s and stuff a lot of the time. They're all businesses in the end now. Yes, there's, cre- there's huge creative elements and, you know, gaming as an industry, I feel, is still different to some of the industries we work in. Yes, definitely. Absolutely different. But unfortunately, in the end, it's a medium that is being used as a business by a hell of a lot of companies. And it's just the reality of it. They can have I, KPIs, that, they that, have shareholders, on, they have on, profits. On that point, Mike, it's like the mechanics of the industry are exactly the same as the mechanics of the industries we're in, yeah. but the people involved are completely different. And that's uh, where some it, of the people involved, I think, with something like I think FIFA, the majority I, of like developers I, and things like that. Yeah, and, and just just let me finish my point. Just yeah. let me finish. So, like, what I'm trying to say is, like, I do feel a little bit sad because there are people who are like very artistic, very creative. They use it as an outlet to express their creativity, and they're put into a situation that's very contrary to their sort of you know ideals of life. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, people I work with are not idealistic in that no, way. They don't give a shit, right? And it's still a machine. The last cent of your grandma's back, if they can. Are they? No, no, that's not fair. That's not true. But yeah, no, trust me, it's not true, right? Maybe, but, maybe in the industry, Mike works. In. Yeah, maybe the company Mike works at. <laughs> but no, um, it's an industry wide. It's across multiple. <laughs> no, industries. no, no. I, I, and okay, is, people don't care. They distance themselves off from 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 the real things that happen to people. It's right. the same as this. They distance themselves away from from the fact that you know there's people that get addicted to buying these sure. things and they literally waste every single cent that they have that you know needs to go towards i don't know caring for their child or something or putting food on the table because they blow it on stuff like this yeah. and they don't yeah. give a shit about people like that in the end do they and and this is the thing this is the thing that i've always said with all these things i'm a huge believer in rules and people having to follow rules and writing simple and good rules and simplistically the rules in this space are ridiculous 
just the same as they are on Apple and Google. Hmm. There's no way that people should be spending $10,000 on FIFA Ultimate Team. Sorry. Like, people can yeah, do that. Yeah, but you believe in a free market. So I do believe should, in a free market. Exactly. So you're, you you also do believe that people should be allowed to spend 10000 if they want. Not necessarily. I never said that. Okay. So where do you draw the line? Uh, as where, do, where would you put restrictions on what a person can and cannot do that? I don't know. I think you need to really, like, find mechanisms to, to, to develop that. But I can tell you it's pretty obvious that someone shouldn't be spending $10,000 on FIFA Ultimate Team. But if they have, you know, $3 million in the bank account, and that's all they want to do all day because it's the way they chill. Where do you draw the line? No, you know what point. I mean? Like it's it's a tricky I, one. I don't. It's very, I don't. It's very I hard. Don't disagree. To... I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But there are people who are addicted. And look, the number one thing I don't like is where there isn't a mechanism to say, "Hey, I want to play this game, but I don't want to see loot boxes and stuff like that." Hmm. Like I'm a big believer. You should be able to say from a console default, "Don't show me any loot boxes or any crap like that." Because I would never let my kids play games like this until they're much, much older. Because it's super gambling. That's the issue I've had the most is games that that kids can pick up that have this stuff. But honestly, if I'm worried about that, I'm more worried about the mobile space than FIFA when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the one that I find the most egregious is Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled, which launched with no loot boxes then had a, a month later an update to add loot boxes into the core game. So even if you're a diligent parent, you've looked at the game, understood it, got it for your kids, and then a month later there's bloody loot boxes. Sneak it in. Ooh. Yeah, that, that, that's the stuff that I think rules can be put into place. So amazingly, it sounds like we're kind of all roughly on the same page <laughs> on this one. I'm actually surprised about we're, that. We're all tainted by the corporate. Uh, <laughs> it's <play>. reality. <laughs> all right, uh, moving into the next segment. So I, I was going to have a jingle for this segment, but I call it business, business, business. So I have been subjected to a single t- segment to cover any business news. So there was getting some, your whole, getting your business hole. Yeah. Getting my business uh, groove on my business time. Um, so yeah, there was a few financial uh, quarter ends. So I thought we'd just quickly cover it. So from a Microsoft point of view, uh, headline number around gaming, they did $15 billion in sales, the record for Microsoft. And just quickly on Sony, they also did a record, which was $24 billion, which I think for me, the overall takeaway on these two things is they've finally been able to break the back of the the cyclical nature of launching consoles, which I think will then also make it interesting about mid-gen upgrades. So typically and historically, when companies have launched a console, they always have a down year. They even lose money. And Sony lost a hell of a lot of money with the PS3. They have literally broken that and they still are making big profits um, and record sales as well. I wonder, does, and maybe your analysis might get into this a bit, but we know that the pandemic has been beneficial for gaming in a lot of ways. Yeah. I wonder, do you think that, those numbers would have been higher or lower if we didn't have the pandemic. Oh, way lower. Yeah, it's way it's lower. Wild, it's wild to think that, you know, the people buying these new machines in these times because they want something new and so exciting to get them away from their, you know, and they're stuck at home, you know, and things like that. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. And like, you know, I think it's also people just want to like find, you know, things you can do at home, solitary yeah. activities, but connecting with people. So anything yeah. big tech related is up huge amount. 
like since the pandemic started, I think big tech, so you know the Apples, Facebooks, Googles, I think they're up forty percent from memory since the pandemic started, which is insane given how much they were valued before that. Um, just going back to Microsoft, they are pushing pretty hard into the PC space in a really interesting way for me. I don't know if you guys have ever even opened up the Microsoft Store. Well, definitely Swinney would have because of yeah, achievements. Yeah, of course. But Mike, have you opened up the Microsoft Store? Do you even know what that is? As in the store on my on on Windows? Yeah, yeah, I've opened yeah. it up multiple times. Yeah. To me, that is not a thing. Like, I don't think of it in the same way as like Epic Game Store or Steam or anything like that. But you know, they're doing some interesting stuff, Microsoft. So historically, they had a thirty percent take rate for any games that they sold on there. They are moving it down to 12%, which is exactly in line with Epic Games. So developers are now going to be taking 88% of the, the profits, the revenue nice. uh, from games that are sold on the Microsoft Store, which to me is like insanely smart because it comes installed by default onto Windows. It also means that as a developer, I actually wouldn't have looked to publish it on the Microsoft Store. But now that there's such a disparity... You go, well, okay, I could probably put it on the Microsoft Store, do a bit of a discount, and I'll make even more money. And then if you've got it on the Microsoft Store, it means that you're then a good candidate for PC Game Pass. Yeah, Game Pass is like the blessing that that store needed. It's yes. just wild. I know you can, I think you can install straight out of the Xbox app. You don't need to touch the store, but still, um, it's obviously, that's the back end. It's, you know whether or not it looks like the store or it looks like the app, it's still the Microsoft store um, in what that you're downloading from. And, and m- my free advice to Microsoft, honestly, I think from a gaming point of view, they need to give up and just call everything related to games on Windows Xbox. Yeah. Like I, I do not know why they want to persist with like a Microsoft store with a gaming tab rather than just call it the Xbox store. Like, to me, that would make more sense. Hmm. Like, I'd go, oh, i just open up the Xbox store and buy games on my Windows PC. Hmm. Like, I don't know. I find it really Maybe, nuts but see, they... we, we, we're in that ecosystem and stuff. I, I can imagine a lot of, you know, people who aren't into Xbox or PlayStation or whatever, and they, they, they just they see a games tab. Maybe, maybe. Hmm. And uh, just on the numbers, so GOG still has a 30% take rate, and Steam's a weird one. They have 30%, but... If you're selling like 50 million sales, they'll push it down to 20% incrementally. Um, yeah, so they're pushing really hard in PC. Like, it's quite interesting. They made a lot of announcements around PC, which I'm glad because I only have the PC component of Game Pass Ultimate. And um, even their CEO, Satya Nadella, um, actually spoke about Game Pass, which I think was one of the first times he really spoke about it at any length on Analyst Call, which kind of interests me. And and just like I just want to read out the the wording because the language to me is quite interesting. It's with Game Pass, we are redefining how games are distributed, played, and viewed. Just last week, we added cloud gaming via the browser, expanding our reach across PC and mobile. And just to me, it's like he literally not did not say the word console hmm. or Xbox or anything like that. You know? Yeah, it's I mean expanding our reach. To sure. Me, there's there's things there that say, okay, well, we know that we're in that space already. But yeah, no, but the focus is just on Game Pass is the is the medium, you know. Mm-hmm. Now Game Pass is it's almost like Game Pass is Xbox from the future in their mind, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, and I think it's very much like Netflix. Netflix originally was sending out DVDs, and they had a little bit of streaming business on the side, and then that became their whole business. I kind of can't imagine Xbox in 
the far distant future just being a, a service. And that's, that is what Xbox is. Hmm. And the last thing just, uh, which is also a link on gamers of some other year, Minecraft now has, and this is up from before, now has 140 million monthly active users. That just like <laughs> blows me away. Every month there's 140 million people. I added an extra one. I caught up with, with my girlfriend's fam last night and her cousin, niece, niece, cousin, whatever. The one that I got the the switch for, she was playing Minecraft on it with her (laughs) friends. Yeah. So there you go. That's, that's another one added to the list. Uh, On Sony. So I, I covered the 24 billion headline gaming division sales, which is massive uh, Sony is already like the best-selling console in the U.S. ever up to this point, which is pretty interesting. They themselves are not targeting a better year than what the PS4 did for the full year of sales, but that that is due to to shortages in hardware. It would be really interesting to know how many sales they would have done if there weren't any shortages, and the split between digital and physical. Obviously, with the pandemic. It's shifted pretty aggressively, but you're now talking about two out of every three games being bought digitally instead of physically, which is Interesting, yeah. sad for me as a physical collector. It's uh, also, and- yeah, it's sad. It's also sad uh, from a value perspective. Oh, yeah. You can't, like you're paying 99 bucks. They're all full price. I don't want to start that discussion again, but it's crazy. And you can't trade them in. You can't get them cheaper elsewhere. Yep. It's like, can't oh, return you want to pay the 99? Play the 99. Yeah. Can't return yeah. them. Can't. Can't do anything. Oh yeah, like I think the return was one hundred and twenty-five dollars Australian. Yep, one hundred twenty-five. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we'll talk about what? that in a second. <laughs> yeah, okay. we will talk okay. about that. In a I second. know what Mike yeah. would have done to get return on, but that's that's bonkers. And then the last thing is uh, Capcom Monster Hunter Rise has sold six million copies, and I just did the numbers. It's about the same pace. It's a bit below uh, Monster Hunter World, which is pretty impressive given that it's only a single platform, and it's going to soon become the best-selling. Capcom game that was released on a single platform, which, yeah, it's hugely impressive. That game has got massive legs. And if they don't release another game of that type, I, I just imagine it's going to have a really, really long tail. So I actually initially thought there'd be no chance it would outsell Monster Hunter World. I'm starting to think it actually might catch up to Monster Hunter World just because it's going to have a long tail on the Switch and then when it gets released on the PC. And then I wonder if it will get released on the PS4 and Xbox eventually, maybe. Well, I, to me, it all hinges on also how they handle the expansion side yeah. of things because the way it used to work with Monster Hunter is that they would release another stand, another version that was an upgraded version, whereas with Iceborne, that was an expansion on top of World. So essentially, yeah. expa- uh, Iceborne purchases were counted as World sales where, you know, bef- I guess you could say, okay, well, these two particular versions of, of Monster Hunter are treated as the same from a number standpoint, yeah. but they were different games. So I can almost see them going back to their old model with the Switch one because of just the infrastructure with like the way they handle expansions and stuff. But I don't know. It depends. I don't think they... I think they're going to follow the same example because everything they've done so far is exactly what they've done with World. So they just released version 2 the other day. So there's... Um, some more monsters and things like that, but there's also functionality that's now behind DLC, some base game functionality that they've pushed behind a paywall, uh, which is what they did with Monster Hunter World as well. So I don't know. It seems like they're going to follow the same track, which makes sense. They made a lot of money the way that they did it with Monster Hunter World. 
Um, so just the next bit of news. So this is now extremely self-indulgent of me. Um, Monster Hunter Stories 2 Amiibo uh, up for pre-order exclusively on EB Games Australia. They are coming out in a couple of months. So I think this is almost one of those ones where they're going to just make or make available the ones that people actually ask for. So if they get 10,000 pre-orders, they're going to you know ship 10,000 to Australia and just deal with it that way. They're really expensive. It's like 100 bucks for the three. So it's like 35, 30, and 30 which like normally the Amiibo are about 21. Um, so that's a bit painful. And they seem to be doing that in Australia, especially. Um, these are just like normal price in other markets. And just the other quick one. And, and the only thing I wanted to say about this pre-order, because I've been waiting for this pre-order. I was sort of told unofficially it was going to be on the Nintendo store. And then now it's on EB Games, which I thought, hmm, that was kind of interesting. And then the fact that they only gave less than three hours notice to when the pre-order was going to start which to me kind of meant that they mustn't have thought it was going to sell out and it hasn't sold out, thank God. So they launched this new Australian special, Australian New Zealand My Nintendo store. Yeah. They put up the Monster Hunter Rise Amiibo as exclusive on that site, but the Monster Hunter Stories 2 Amiibo, they don't. They put that with EB. Like, what the hell? Like, that just seems just so... I understand, obviously, the business deal's there, and the yeah. EB, EB needs to drive people to their, their stores, you know. Um, but it's just like, okay, as, as a consumer, as someone buying this stuff, like, you would assume they would put it up on that new store. That's ridiculous. I agree, and I don't really understand it. And just chatting to the people I know at EB... You know, definitely Amiibos are, like, very petered out by now, you know? Like, there's mm. bolted-on people who buy them, crazy people who keep buying them, but it's nothing, <laughs> it's, <a> <laughs> it's nothing like the numbers back in, you know, 2015, 16, 17. So, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. I don't. I can't understand it. I mean, it was sold at GameStop in America, these three Amiibo, but that was the same as Rise, and that mm. didn't go through... EB games, so maybe I, I wonder, and I could be completely off. Maybe they didn't see the numbers they wanted to from that store as well. Well, actually, that you know, like okay, so this <laughs> this is your Mebo segment now. The weird thing that's happening in Australia: these are sold on Nintendo Store Australia. I've bought stuff off there. I like the way it comes. I actually think it's awesome the way they they ship it. They have like a specific like Nintendo shipping box. Uh, you know, you know, this is not disclosing any secrets. I'm a part of a Facebook group for Amiibo, right? Of nutters like me. And I was actually shocked to read how many people go, I'm not going to buy it because it's on the Nintendo store. I'm just like, why? Like they go, no, no I want to be able to buy it in like EB or G- JB, like an actual physical store. So, and then I've also noticed that these are still buyable. You can still buy them on the Nintendo store and they're trading at a higher value on eBay. Uh, sorry, eBay. So you can like just buy oh, yeah. them off the Nintendo Store and What's sell the them on eBay for more. Out of curiosity, free. Oh, it's free, so because you know how much. Like once you buy them and stuff like that. So yeah, I, but you know what? People are like, oh, I don't want a different thing just because it's different. So, but how do you explain that? It doesn't make any sense. You're buying direct- it off eBay. No, no, no. All I'm all I'm saying is that people, people by and large. Like their comfort zones. No, they just like the comfort zones. Yeah. They stick to what they know. They don't want a new store, a new unknown. Does it even if it's easier, even if it's the same thing, the until big... they get used to it, they refuse to do it. But, so but I can't part of me some is, people wouldn't. 
But this how does is- this make sense? Can I just wait? Can I just say, mm. like, literally, I buy it for $30 on the Nintendo store and it just sold. Like, one of them just sold for $70. On oh, eBay. don't get me wrong. It's, 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 how does that you make know sense? what? Some people might not even it. know it's available there. Some people I think that's just what it only is. think they get stuff from I think eBay. That's what it and is. they think you can only get them from eBay and that's all Strange. they look for. Yeah, but uh, all say, I'm saying is, sorry, Sonny, just quickly. All I'm saying is, I can understand why people twice. don't want another another store. Anyway, sorry, go on, Sonny. I was just going to say, like, your whole thing of uh, another store. I mean, this is almost direct from Nintendo. Like, oh, I know that. Oh, like, I know that. I'm not one of those people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there are many people out there who do not go out of their known comfort zones, and it's any new thing that comes along takes them a while to get into it. You know what it is? It must be international buyers. It must be like you can't buy overseas very easily. I can't explain it any other way because I did sell something on eBay and then someone was like, oh, can you ship it to Korea? I'm like, dude, I said it was explicitly Australia. So it must be driving the market up because even today, they're still selling for like $100 and you can buy them right now for $30. I reckon that's what it is because those people can't get it from the Nintendo one, can they? Must be. No, no, no. You can only ship to Australia yeah. from the Nintendo store. That, I reckon that's it because we've mm. known in the past that, like, if you walk into a store in Australia and there's Amiibo that people are, like, paying sh- shitloads for yeah. over in the US because they're, you know, they're, they're out of stock and stuff. So That's true. That's true. Anyway, they, <laughs> that's, the, that's enough Amiibo for this episode. Let's get into my favorite segment of the week. The bargain being for the week commencing Sunday, the 2nd of May, 2021. And always, we start with Epic Game Store. They give us so many great games every week. Last week, Alien Isolation is amazing. The DLC was free as well. So what is it this week? Sweeney, I'm just checking. Idol Champions Forgotten Realms DLC add-in must install game to be a... What is this shit? <laughs> I have to say, this is like the most disappointing week and i feel so entitled <laughs> that we're getting like a free game every single week and then this is just utter trash well look i wouldn't say i don't think it's utter trash for people that are into that game and apparently sure. that game has, sure. a, has a big community yes, yes so yes. it's probably fantastic for them but it's utter trash for everyone else um that isn't into this game and honestly i had heard about this game before but i've never seen what it looks like this game is is a looker. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, wants to look that up, but yeah. Oh, okay. I'm gonna have to do some googling. Uh, I, I was. I don't know if the sarcasm was coming through when I said that. <laughs> yeah. So, Idol Champions. It's a free to play game, and then it's basically just DLC for that game, and it's so convoluted to install it. Like, this is how bad it is, guys. This is the first time I've never got the free offer from Epic Games. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. So let's skip that. Delete that. Delete that from the comments, Swinney. Um, one thing that you asked for, Swinney, is to call out good Amazon Prime deals. So I am doing that. So with Amazon Prime, currently you can get Moving Out, which is a Aussie-made game. Uh, that's free up to the next couple of days, days if you want to claim it. Uh, and then also Yoko's Island Express is coming back to Amazon Prime for free. So if you have Amazon Prime, you should uh, jump on and claim those. Both very good games. Nintendo Switch. So highlights this week. SNK 40th Anniversary Collection is 30 bucks until the 9th of May. Hyper Light Drifter is 18 bucks until the 12th of May. That's a very good Game Maker Studio game. 
on PlayStation. So they're play, PS Plus games for May. We still don't know what the next play at home free games are going to be because I think there's one more collection of games that are going to come out or game that's going to come out for that. So we'll wait for that. But the PS Plus games for May are Battlefield 5, which is a PS4 edition, Stranded Deep PS4 edition, and Wreckfest PS5. Digital highlights include Duke Nukem 3D, 20th Anniversary World Tour, which is $6. It's actually on sale on lots of different stores, so depending on your platform, you should check that out. And I Am Bread is $3.50 until the 13th of May. I feel like Sweeney just put that as a joke. No, no. that's so You have actually, a clip of me saying I Am Bread. No, there's a um, there's a really cool uh, Games Done Quick uh, speedrun of I Am Bread out there okay. as well. So. <laughs> All right, over to you for Xbox. Yeah, so we've got a one uh, Game Pass edition highlight for this uh, month, but it's a hell of a one. So um, coming on the 4th of May is Dragon Quest Builders 2, which is coming to console and PC Game Pass, which is great. Uh, now, for once, we've actually got some Xbox sales. Woohoo! For once, um, because it's Golden Week at the moment. So there, there's some highlights. So these are all, all, all the games are generally Japanese-developed ones um, with a couple of exceptions in, in their sales, but the ones I called out... So both Romancing Saga 2 and 3 are 50% off um, until the 6th of May. So we're talking Romancing Saga 2 is 1870, Romancing Saga 3 is 2245. Those games don't go on sale that often, so that's why I really want to call them out. Uh, Ultimate Marvelous Capcom 3, the Xbox One uh, re-release, is $15.20 until the 6th of May. And one... one thing i really want to call out is final fantasy 15's episode arden which is the only dlc that's not included in the royal edition um because it was released post you know all the the season pass content is 50 percent off at three dollars 70 until the 6th of may and that's actually a really really cool dlc so. nice nice all right now let's move on to our special features uh so this week i wanted to cover uh, the Oculus Quest 2. So there was the update that we mentioned a few weeks ago or a week ago, which uh, allowed for it bumping up from uh, 90 hertz, which was the max that you could do previously to 120 hertz. And also AirLink, which is the one that I was more interested in, um, which you could do through various means. You could install third-party software, which was about 30 bucks, virtual desktop, a few other things to make it work. But this is all in, in integrated into the Oculus oculus quest 2 and the oculus software on uh windows so first i just want to check mike have you tried this on your oculus quest i have not unfortunately okay. did not get the time yet so i'll just cover it quickly so i man it was so finicky i don't know everyone hates that i always bash vr's finickiness but it, dude even my mate who's the biggest vr fan ever and he like used the vr every single day even he was like, it was ridiculous. Like I had to restart the Oculus about six times and I had to restart my computer about three times. And every time I went online, because effectively what happened is, I think I called it out at the time, version 28 had AirLink and the 120 Hertz integrated in it, but it wasn't switched on. And people found a workaround to switch it on, on their console, uh, like on their Oculus Quest 2. So the VP at Facebook who runs Oculus effectively now said, you know what, stuff it. We'll switch it on for everyone, right? So the next day I'm like, okay, that should be enough time. He said it's switched on for everyone. Then I read on the comments of like all the boards around Oculus, people are like, it's not working for me. I can only see this. I can't see that. I'm like, oh, I won't have that problem. So I updated everything. And dude, I had to, it was, like, I'm just being so clear. 
I didn't do anything other than restart them over and over again. And eventually, because this is what people said online, they said I just kept restarting and then eventually it popped up. So eventually, once I started restarting the Oculus so many times, it popped up with the 120 hertz and the Air Link functionality. And it's also very finicky where you have to actually switch the Air Link on and it only switches on for 24 hours on Windows. And then it will switch off automatically. Intigot, you you are a true artist. I just put it out there. You are suffering for your art. <laughs> I, I don't even love VR, and I'm trying to do this to t- test it out. Right now, I have like a room, and so you know, I'm very fortunate to have a room dedicated to my study and gaming and stuff like that. But it's it's because of the crap that I've put in it. It's become kind of a little bit narrow, which kind of sucks for VR. Right, it'd be better to have a squarish space. So I have like a cable, everything like that in the room. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll be able to go into my lounge, which is just like literally two, three meters outside of this room and play it there. And you know how I did say last time that you had to be within like three meters of the router. And I'm like, God, I can't be real. Mm-hmm. It is so real. <laughs> so I connected it Holy all. Moly. Wow. I went into okay. the lounge. It is like three meters away. Yep. There is a door there to be fair. And as soon as I went out there... Well, you had the door open, right? Yeah, yeah I had the door yeah. open. And uh, like, I have to say, guys, like when I had it on and I went out there and I was playing Half-Life Alex, it was pretty sick, man. It was pretty sick because it was like nothing connected to me. Yep. And I was just in that world and it, it was way more immersive. than you're just like, you're blind, you're walking around the kitchen, like knocking <laughs> things over. <laughs> I know. Well, that's okay. YouTube memes. He, he's a, he's a, a head crab. Oh no, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know my pet name for her? Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> that's a joke. Um, so yeah, like I realized in that room, it, it, what would happen is it'd be perfect and then it would just stutter. Now, a stutter in VR is, like, very jarring because you're, like, moving around and then the world stops and you get a little bit dizzy from it. Mm. I came back into my office, my study, and it's perfect. Like, I'm very pedantic, very finicky. Honestly, I'm not even sure if I really could tell the difference between the physical cable, which was plugged into, like, the best USB port I have, mm-hmm. and AirLink. Now, That's the good. resolution wow. thing, I don't think I have a powerful enough PC to really be able to tell or like, I don't know if it's actually running at 120 Hertz. Like I, I'd have to do some testing on that, but I actually find that I never really have that much of an issue with it. It's more just the physical space. That's more bothersome with VR for me. I thought the too so, many Amiibos. I thought 120 <laughs> Hertz. So that's only on games that have been updated to run at that, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what? Like AirLink, it might not run 120 Hertz. It might be 72 Hertz by default on AirLink. Yeah. And you might not be able to do anything else for so that. So can you get both at the same time? Or is it you can have 120 plugged in or you can have AirLink? I don't think you can get... I, my guess is you probably can only do 72. Although the PC one did have an option for 90 and 120. Okay. So I don't know why it would show that if you can't run Check it. That. I, I mean, know. that'd be a fair trade-off, honestly, if that was the Yeah, case. that'd be a fair trade Of course, and yeah. I, like for me, like I don't have a massive issue with it. I think it's just more just... It's always a bit jarring just moving in a VR space and, you know, just not correlating necessarily to your physical movements. Yeah. I don't think having more frame rate is going to do away with that. But, yeah, having said that, honestly, I can't go back now. Like, I'll, I will play Half-Life Alex using this method. Mm-hmm. And I might actually, because my router, I'll be able to move it a bit. So I'm actually considering trying to move my router out of my room a little bit 
So then I can use the lounge room just for VR. I was starting to become a VR nutcase, like some people are. Um, So yeah, no, no, very cool. Very cool update. Still dislike Facebook. Still would never buy an Oculus Quest 2. And it's actually just becoming more and more of a shame. And I look, my big hope is that Sony, when they release, you know, PSVR 2, they have a PC app and they offer similar functionality. But you know, they've already got the wireless thing going on Oculus. Now, now I actually do like, you know, it's kind of smart from Oculus. I don't know if I can go back to having a cable and that's how the PSVR is going to work. It's going to have to have a cable running into the PS5. So mm, nah, there you go. But um, you should check it out, Mike, given that yeah, you're the bigger fan will. of yeah, yeah, VR we'll and never use it. Find some time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to your segment. Returnal. Over to you, Mike. Oh, I thought we were going to do a cool little intro. No. <laughs> about how this is, you know, my, uh, this is uh, House Marquis' first foray into <laughs> House the Mark. House Mark. I say House Marquis. It's House Mark. How, whatever. That's what they say. We should get them on the show and then they can correct us. Anyway, <laughs> latest PS5. I think, sorry, Marquis has two E's, by the way. I think that's why. Yeah, yeah I know. That's, I, know I didn't I'm want wrong. to say I know that. I'm well, wrong. But... <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong. Anyway, this is the first foray into like a proper big AAA uh, title. Um, so I managed to get my hands on Returnal uh, on launch day. I traded a couple of games in the previous day. <laughs> No, I actually ended up trading. I'll talk about it in a sec, but I ended up trading two of my actual games, not oh. the dodgy deal that I was going to do that I'll talk about it when I talk about the price of this game in a sec. Um, so, I, so I got my hands on it. I ended up start, uh, playing it after work on, on Friday. Um, you know, moved my PlayStation back to my main TV uh, where I've got pro- the proper 4K set up with the good sound and everything else. Um so the first thing I'll talk about is the sound and the music, because um, you, you know you get those rarish games. I think where even just the title screen, or even just leaving it at the title screen screen on PlayStation, Xbox doesn't do it. Um, I don't think it's got the same mechanic. But on PlayStation, um, if you've got the disc in and you just mm. leave it there on the game without even launching the game, it plays it plays sort of the the theme song of the game. Yeah, I like that. Um, which is awesome. And even that just captivates you. It's such a cool sort of eerie music to it, that, that sort of alien-esque vibe um, that, that is, is very befitting of a game like this. Um, so that, that struck me as a huge positive when, when, I, uh, when I finally put the game in. Um, the game actually does tell you that you should use uh, headphones with um, with the 3D sound. I didn't because I've got a 5.1 setup, um, fortunately. Um, Do you even have a headset that supports? 3D? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have one of the official headsets. So I don't know exactly if it will work with uh, you know my Bose or something like that. Um, but and I think it, it could really benefit from having that closeness. Um, it's not a horror game or anything like that, but it's certainly a game that I think would benefit from like from from immersing yourself in that sound and you know we've we've spoken about how important music and sound is to games that a lot of the times it gets forgotten people think about the graphics people think about the gameplay the story etc but the music and you know you covered this in an early segment even today um the the silence as you called it is so critical um and that is one one thing that this game does absolutely fantastically um to the extent that i, I want to get my hands on the soundtrack it's that good um now 
In terms of the game itself, so so the the game is a a bit of a mishmash between a a, a rogue light. Um, so rogue lights for for people who haven't played those kind of games, and there are quite a lot of people who actually haven't played those kind of games because one of my mates picked this game up, um, and it was the the contrast was really interesting because to me this game is exactly what I thought it would be down to the T. Um, I I didn't see a lot of stuff on it, but I saw enough and I read just enough making sure that nothing gets spoiled uh, to try to understand what the game's about. And when I started playing it, it is literally exactly what I thought the game would be. Um, whereas with him, he had never really played rogue lights before, not to the extent that I guess I did. So stuff like Dead Cells, Hades, etc. I don't think he ever played those games. Um, so he didn't really know what to expect. And for him, it actually wasn't a positive experience. Mm. He, the whole dying over and over and over again mechanic was not a positive thing for him. Uh, it didn't really click. Um, and I, to the extent that I think he's probably going to return the game today. He's going to return uh, Returnal. Eh? He's going to return Returnal, <laughs> yeah. Return whereas, Returnal. Whereas I actually, um, I, I, I knew the concept and I, I, I like the concept and I'll talk, I'll talk a bit about, you know, the, the pros and cons of, of the game mechanic like that. Um, but just in terms of the overall mechanics, one, one thing that, that striked me, and I think this is this is kind of a thing that happens with a lot of games, but I think it happens with a lot of roguelite games specifically, is it can be a little overwhelming at the start to understand all the different mechanics that are at play. Um, you know, even little things. Health isn't called health, as an example, obviously. Um, it's got a specific name in the game, but there is a secondary mechanic related to it that you don't really, it doesn't click until you until you sort of, play and play and then you go oh i see what's happening here um so you get uh you get your basic health bar um and there's a mechanic that look if it's explained in the game i totally missed it uh but for anyone who's playing sorry, it that hasn't we know seen you've it never skipped dialogue in games no before. i actually not in a game like this especially I always the, skip the dialogue i do not when no, i pick these kind of I games i watch everything i i read all the tutorials you know if um, it comes up with like Press this button to watch the tutorial. I'm always like, yeah, what's I'm the thinking, tutorial? Show me. Thinking back to uh, Project Triangle, whatever it is. Uh, no, triangle yeah, strategy, yeah. that's right. Hey, yeah. look, some, look, stuff like that <laughs> that I'm, I'm rushing through because it's a demo that I don't really care about. Yeah, that's going to happen. With a game like this that I really want to immerse myself in and you know, sit down, turn the lights off, I, I, I look at everything in detail. I take my time. So anyway, one of these mechanics that was really weird is, um, is if you're at full health, Health pickups increase your health. They don't they don't instantly increase it, but basically they contribute to one of three bars. And every three bars that you that you fill up, you get another five percent health. And that mechanic, I swear, I could not, I do not remember anywhere that mechanic being explained anywhere. Right. So for, so, for quite a while, I'm confused. I'm like, am I, I picking health up or am I picking an upgrade up? Like, what am I picking up? They both look the same. They're both green. Wait, so sorry, like, because that was really confusing how you showed that. You said health pickups <laughs> when you full health increase your health. Yeah, it's okay. I know this is really confusing. They increase your maximum health. Sorry. Yeah. So, so if you so so the game, I guess, and and I'll talk about this in a sec as well. So, so the game, um, the game rewards you for for playing well because if you play really well and you're at full health, all the green pickups, which are the health ones. Every three of those, and you can get like you know bigger amounts, as and you can get two slots instead of the full th- the just one slot to fill up to the the three. It's it's very confusing just explaining this, uh, but point is 
uh, it increases your your uh, maximum health by five percent. Okay. So so it actually really really um, not not so much encourages you, but it it rewards you and, and incentivizes you for being really good at the bloody game. Um, now that element plays out in other areas as well. So for example, um, there's an overload mechanic. So if you if you reload at the correct time, um, you get bonuses to that as well. And then the other huge mechanic at play is um, every three enemies that you kill, it increases your um, uh, some bonuses that you get um, up to a maximum of five. And those bonuses could be you can see enemies clearer through the walls, you get more money. Um, money. Uh, I'm not going to mention the in-game currency, but basically let's just call it gold for all intents and purposes. Um, so again, it incentivizes you because if you're really good and you don't get hit, you're constantly dealing more damage, so, you're doing better. So you're saying every three enemies you kill without getting hit? Is that yeah, it gives okay. you one point to it up to a max of five. Okay. And each tier, you get different bonuses, um, and it, they stack. So when you're at tier five, which is the max tier, you get the bonuses from tier one, two, three, and four. Um, and, and the shooting mechanic is almost like a... You know, th- you know, third person perspective, bullet hell style shooting yep. style, right? Like very like, and it's also quite interesting with the coloring and like just the color choices because it it's very bullet hell style colors of palettes yeah, and things it, like it that. It is, which but there looks are, kind of weird. But there are cool. very distinct biomes, mm. like in a lot of these games. So there's this, uh, from my understanding, there's six uh, distinct biomes. I only made it up to the third one. Um, I think practic I think I was up to the boss of the third one. So with the uh, sorry, with that bullet hell yeah. stuff, it's wild to me that within essentially almost a week of each other, the two biggest releases <laughs> yeah. are both have like three D action bullet hell orbs flying at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just yeah, wild like actually, no yeah. that's that's so rare for that to happen in games and you've got the two biggest releases within a week basically. You're talking about near so near, well. yeah, so yeah, 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 of course. Near yeah. might yeah. near might oh. have been the f- it's the first one I know of that really. It's definitely kind of the did first that. one that I've yeah. heard of. So it's a very um, having having played near Automata. It reminded me of that sort of yeah. mechanic. It, to mm. the extent that it almost felt um, not not in a bad way, but it, it felt gamey. Yeah, it yeah, felt I like did. The enemies That's exactly weren't what I was thinking. I love it. I love it. It's so awesome. It's awesome. Which is cool. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a really cool mechanic. It does kind of in in a slight way. So I could imagine that the developers would have had to make some serious decisions on this. I feel because of the nature of the game and how dark it is and how moody and and it's 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 very sort of noir sci-fi mm. that it almost in a way takes you away from the the world because the enemies become a little too too gamey. It's, it's hard meta, to describe right? it. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it it works within the game pretty well. It's also um, a really good link back to um, House Mark's kind of legacy of mm, those arcade Razor shooters Garnet, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think it's. Like, if you were say, okay, we're going to take, you know, what we do and put into this AAA space, I love that they've done this. When I saw, because I, I didn't know that that was a thing until recently, and I started Same. watching that footage, I'm like, man, if they had shown this, maybe they did, but remember, I remember when they revealed this game, that wasn't something that I noticed back then. I would have been like, oh man, what the hell is this? It would have got my attention mm. a lot more. They spoke about it, but it, yeah, it's just only recent that they showed it. Can, can I clarify something, Mike? And I'll define what I understand these terms to mean. So obviously the first game in this genre, Rogue, Mm -hmm. has now spawned two main terms that people use, Rogue Light and Rogue Like. Rogue Like 
in my understanding, and both games feature some kind of, you know, randomly generated, procedurally generated elements, whether they're being placement of items, enemies, levels themselves. I think that's one of the key things. Mm-hmm. And then you're constantly doing runs. So it's like you'll die and then you'll start from the start. But to yeah. me, the difference being with light, there are some permanent upgrades that you can gain yep. and mm-hmm. like being really like almost none or very limited versions of those. Yeah, I'd almost say this is well, rogue, l- well, rogue-like. Is that right, Swinny, by the way? Because you're the expert. So, by the way, I know that this game does have upgrades and stuff that will carry across runs. So uh, but th- but this is do... what I, no, but this is what yeah. I don't understand because the developers themselves have said both that it's a roguelike yes, and a roguelike. It is. So let, let me explain. Yeah. Let me explain. So and that is actually one of, that's one of my negatives personally for the game. Okay. Um, so it's somewhere in between. So they do reward you with some permanent upgrades, but in, the, the, to, in my, well, they're not... Are they persistent not, upgrades? They're persistent upgrades, but they don't benefit your character, if that makes sense. So, uh, without spoiling anything, I'll give you, I'll give you, um, I'll give you one example. So, every time you um, beat a boss, I've noticed so far, you get an upgrade that allows you to, um, if you if you start a new run, it allows you to access an area that you previously couldn't. It's sort of that Metrovania style gameplay so well that i I won't i won't bother spoiling anything it's quite obvious for people that play it that there's probably a mechanic introduced and that is there's a grappling hook that allows you to get certain parts of the map that you can't on your very first playthrough until you get that particular unlock and that stuff is permanent and it does one of two things one when you go back through the through even the the very first area even though you get this upgrade um I, i believe in the third area from memory um, you can get certain um, certain uh, upgrades to to your suit or health upgrades or whatever the case may be a little earlier because there's just more options to get those, if you know what I mean. Because the first playthrough, you can't access those places, so you can't get those upgrades during that run. Um, so, that, so that's something that I guess is is permanent, but that's more of a gameplay mechanic that's permanent because your actual character does not change. The amount of health you have does not improve from playthrough to playthrough. Um, the 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 shields, the there's there's a few you know small like you get a key to access a particular area, but that's more story thing. So so in terms of making the game easier for you, I would say, at least from my experience so far, it doesn't. Mm. And so to me, that makes it more of a roguelike by the definition you just had, and and that is also to me, in my opinion, a bit of a drawback personally. I mean, I know it's been getting a lot of really positive reviews and it is a very, very, very good game. But I do find that there's been a few runs where I just went, okay, that was a complete waste of time. I literally got nothing out of that. I just wasted like the last two hours in like three separate runs and I made absolutely zero progress towards anything. And to to, to me, that's a huge drawback because I don't want to sit there playing a game for two hours and feeling like I've made absolutely zero progress towards my character. Because you wipe and you start again and you lose everything. And I've also gained nothing in that previous playthrough. Um, and and I think that's probably one of the big drawbacks about this that's going to push a whole bunch of people away from the game. Um, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world in that sense, but I just feel that that lack of it, lack of real achievement every time. There's no reward every time you play. You can play and you can play for like a couple of hours and completely get wiped and you just just the whole two hours just feel pointless basically 
Um, I mean, you know, not pointless in total because you might learn a new technique or you might have, you know, come across new enemies and you tried a different approach or you tried a different weapon that might work a bit better. But all in all, you're not really making real, real progress towards completing the game in that sense. Mm. So to me, that was, that was a, bit of a, a bit of a drawback about it. Um, like I said, though, you can, um, you can once you unlock um, a, a certain area or a new biome, you can shortcut uh, straight to that biome. And that, you that's to one find of the things it. that I was hearing about. To me, that is a, that's a massive thing. As soon as you start including oh, yeah, progress huge. shortcuts... To me, that's hundred ah. percent in the realm of a roguelite because that it is totally progression. is. Yeah, it is. It's pro- it ultimately is progression. Absolutely. Um, it's just that it's not you know it's not guaranteed progression in the sense that you still have the problem of uh, you could keep playing and playing the same area over and over again and dying and making no real progress towards your character if that makes sense. So my until team- you hit a checkpoint, so to speak, and then you feel like you've made some form of a progress. Would Would you call it a light rogue light? <laughs> like road like, like. I like that yeah. that, that uh, exasperated reaction. It's great. How's uh, how's the you know you obviously don't get into details, and I know yeah. you're not probably far enough in to probably give a full view on this. But how is the the narrative that they're kind of like weaving into this mm. playing? Yeah, it's in, it's pretty interesting so far. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I can't spoil anything, but there's there's a few a few moments where it's told from a first person perspective. Hmm. um it's look it's quite early on so it's not it's not gonna they show that stuff in trailers and stuff. and they do yeah so you come across it was actually in a trailer i remember seeing it as well you come across uh your old house and that almost plays like pt you know one of those first person horror stories that is feels so different to the rest of the game in that sense um and and i think the narrative it's it's quite interesting so so that's the thing i actually i wanted i want to keep pushing through it just because I want to see what happens and I want to, I want to see the narrative and I want to progress and check out the, you know, the later biomes, um, see what happens to Serene, the, uh, the protagonist and why she got there and what the heck's going on with, with the whole lore and everything else. But at the same time, it's, it's really disheartening when you play for a couple of hours and then you wipe and you, you literally feel like you've achieved nothing in those last two hours. Mm. You've just gone through the same stuff you've already done. With maybe like you, heard, you get like, I don't know, one or two new pieces of lore or something, which is cool, but it's, just, it's not the kind of reward that you want for two hours worth of, of playing a game. It's, I find it um, really interesting that these days we feel that we need that as opposed to just the experience of well, no, playing, I, you know? yeah, but I don't have time. That's the problem. So I don't, I don't have time to spend to spend on a game that I feel like it's 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 lottery. It literally is lottery in the end, whether I can progress or not with that game. But what I'm saying is the experience of actually playing it is not enough for us anymore. Oh, you know, and look, the experience we- is enough, but but I also want to. I want the feeling that I can experience the whole game, whereas. My worry in the end with this, and and it might not apply to everyone, it's just I'm too time poor to dedicate tens of hours doing the same thing over and over again to just finish this thing, if that makes sense. I love the experience within that. It's very solid, but I feel like they could have rewarded you a little bit better every single playthrough. I don't know how that would have changed the game mechanic, but even if it's something like, you know, there's there's a potential to get an extra 1% extra health or 1% extra damage every X amount of runs or something or whatever, like just something that is a permanent way that I know that eventually this will be easier. 
Uh, and I'm sure eventually this will be easier, but it does not feel like it so far. Well, can, um, I, can I just ask a question on that? Is it like you feel like you've been conditioned to like the fact that many of these games in the rogue-like slash light category are starting to move towards giving some form of persistent permanent upgrades that a game not really having as much of that is almost like you feel like you're not rewarded and then you're like, ah, oh, you know, you, you've grown accustomed to those elements in those games. Yeah, maybe. But I also, I also ultimately think that it's, it's just a basic reward system for human beings is that the more I do something, the more I, it makes that thing easier. And but you, I, but you are though. You're getting better at the game, and then well, I'm sure you're better, much better but, at it. No, that's hour true. one to hour but ten. The 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 RNG gods, unfortunately, uh, com- com- almost completely discount that because you mm. can. So, so as an example, um, my third run. So the very first run, uh, minor spoiler here. Like like any of these games, like Dark Souls, there's a point that you're going to die, and it's it's scripted basically. Uh, I'm sure you can probably do if you play extremely well, uh, kind of like in Dark Souls, uh, get through that. I don't know what happens if you get through that, but uh, inevitably you die. Um, and when when you start again, I had my second run, and the second run was kind of averagey. And then the third run, I I managed to get through through three biomes because I just happened to hit a really good number of upgrades um, mm. that just work really well, either for my gameplay style or they happen to be quite good in the way they synergized. Um, and and then then I died eventually. Um, and, and beyond that point, my runs were so much shorter because I just kept getting really crap stuff. And I, I was sitting there thinking, wow, this is really weird. Like I'm facing the same boss that I found relatively easy in my previous run uh, yet I just don't have good abilities or good weapons at the moment. So, so even though yes, you do get better every single playthrough, because it's ultimately not the same game. It's not like Dark Souls where you die, you learn, you get better, you improve, and it's all up to you. It's mm. totally one hundred percent how good you are, and you persist and and you win. Whereas with this, there's too much randomness involved for you to to say that, yes, I learned something new. It's all about me learning how to play better, etc. There's definitely an element of that, but there's too much randomness involved as well. So look, anyway, to, to cut it short, it's a great game. Um, do I think it's worth the 125 bucks that, that you know, in Australia, it's, they're currently asking for it? I don't think so. I think that to me, this feels more like maybe maybe sort of a 70 dollar kind of game um and i'm not saying that because all rogue lights tend to be relatively cheap compared to full price games because this is you know this is a pretty good title but all in all when you sort of peel the onion and you really look at the layers i don't think it's it's the 125 dollars that they're asking for it um certainly more than you know a standard indie game if you could call it that but not that that amount um do recommend it but maybe it's a bit of a rental for people who haven't sort of played these kind of games. And rental and who, who rents games these days? EB games. We talked off, about uh... them, so you can 100% totally rent. You got seven days to play it. Don't like it, you return the game back. So um, I feel I think there's going to be no pun intended once again a whole bunch of returns for this game. Returnal, I, I, I hope they've got good returnal policies. <laughs> Jesus. I I kind of agree with you on that, Mike. I think that this is the kind of game that a lot of people will pick up because it's reviewed so well. Like it's yeah. like 86, 87 on Metacritic, which is insane. 
Um, and I just don't think it will click with a lot of people. Um, so no, really good first impressions. Um, Thanks. I, I, yeah, I'm keen to know if you keep playing it and if you beat it because you're yeah, pretty I'm good at these pre- games. I'm going to so. persist a little bit more. I, I, I will, <laughs> but I, I do, to be honest, I do feel like there's there's a part of me in the back of my mind that says too many other games to play. I don't have the time to feel like I've just spent two hours achieving nothing. I've, I've also heard that like you should keep playing past what you think you you would normally stop. Mm. I'll just put that up. As in, keep pushing yourself. So don't redo. Pass what you think the ending is. Yes, pass what you think. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I heard about that. Yeah. The, the only thing I, I don't know, uh, just to wrap it up, is if <laughs> it's if it's a good strategy to every time you wipe, start again from the start, so you get all the upgrades, or take the shortcut to the latest level you've been up to because you do so obviously enemies go in level and the weapons change in level and it does scale the moment you go in uh. there and if you pick something else up you can get like a scaled up version of the weapon straight away um but but so i don't know what the best strategy is but of course it's it's the problem is you don't have all the other upgrades so your health is really crap it's the default health you don't have any upgrades so it's yeah so I'm going, to, I'm going to try different strategies and hopefully I'll persist and, and uh, I'll let you guys know how that goes. Cool. All right, let's move on to the next story. Um, so I'll, I'll be a bit brief because we are running long. I did read through the Ask Awata book. Um, so about Satoru Awata, the former Nintendo CEO, president, uh, former president of PAL, uh, sorry, HAL Labs, and uh programmer of uh, many games including smash brothers which is kind of nuts when you think about it um so just to be clear like this book is certainly not a sort of you know biography or autobiography it is approved by his family uh just to sort of you know frame it so he he did pass away five years um of cancer and relatively young age it was like about 55 56 um which is pretty nuts because it's probably younger than uh you know my folks were definitely younger than my folks um and it's way too young to die obviously Mm. um but yeah he was really really interesting person and this essentially the book is a collection of the essays that he wrote but also reflections from people that know him so for instance you know one of probably my you know walt disney tesla slash you know those kind of cats you know for me is shigeru mimoto i love that guy he's kind of the you know to me, the most impressive, he'd be the number one person I'd want to meet on the planet, living or dead. Um, and it, it's, it, you know, from the book, I didn't know about this beforehand, but from the book, I'd found out that they would have every single Monday lunch together for, you know, the last whatever it is, 10, 20 years. Um, and that, that's just crazy that's really to, cool. to me. Um, and it, it's really funny. There's a really cute little story because, you know, it, it's, a lot of Awata's essays, and and also by the way, the book is very short, so it's you know 150 ish pages, so it's a very easy read to get through and very structured, so you know you can jump in at any point. But there's a really cute kind of interchange that's, I guess, it's on purpose by the translator, but it doesn't seem like the people involved knew. But Awata t- was in one of the essays talking about Miyamoto and just his style and you know, what he would all be about and how he's very much obsessed about ideas, solving multiple problems. And he was talking about how he is the number one follower of Miyamoto, that he's always been the biggest fan of him. And, you know, I'm the number one follower of you. And then right at the end of the book, it has um, a few of the key figures in 
Awata's life. And Miyamoto was one of the ones who penned essentially a short essay about uh, Awata. And at one point in his essay, Miyamoto's essay, he actually said, you know, I always thought it was really weird with Awata. You know, he'd always give me praise. He'd, he'd call me his, like, he's, I'm the num- he's the number one follower of me. <laughs> and I just loved how, like, that little interchange between the two men. And especially with Japanese culture, which is very conservative and, you know, it's all about, you know, respecting people. And it's quite interesting. You know, you'd read things like Miyamoto is older than Awata by about 10 years. And even there's a part where he references when Awata became the president of Nintendo at the age of 42, how Miyamoto framed it as some people may think that I would have been upset that he, the younger man, got to the presidency and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, wow, it's funny in like Western, you know, Anglo-Saxon culture, that's not really a thing that people think about too much. They are, you know, the CEO is 45 and I'm 50. This is not fair or like, I I personally don't hear that at work at all. Um, It's just not quite a common thing, but it seems very ingrained in Japanese culture. Um, And yeah, it's just like, oh man, there's like so much in the book. You know, there's parts where he even talks about how, they're quite similar, Nintendo, to Apple in trying to drive simplicity. But one thing, like, and he actually calls out and kind of throws Apple under the bus, and I thought it was funny, you know, that he said, oh, you know, look, we would never sacrifice the thickness of a device if that means that that device is not going to be as strong or it's going to fall apart and things like that. <laughs> now that, that explains the Wii U controller. <laughs> yeah, but then again, you can look at the Joy-Cons and go, wow, come on, come on, guys. Like, that's the flip side of it. I mean, in general, but, Nintendo stuff's always but that historically happens. been sturdy, so. But the that's Joy-Cons true. have happened after Iwata. Technically, that's true as so, well. Yeah. Mm. I mean, he did, like, so one thing about Iwata is I don't feel like he gets enough praise as, as you know, he probably should. Even myself, I really think more about people like Mimoto, but Iwata did oversee like the kind of the biggest that Nintendo has ever been really like when they were selling the Wii and the DS, they were selling like 40, 50 million units per year. It was insane combined and much more than the switch is selling now, which is about 20, 22 million a year. Um, I think, yeah, I think the peak was about 30 to 40 million back in the day with the Wii and the, and the DS combined. Um, and you know, he was just very, it's, it's quite interesting to see how he's very, particular on certain things like he was adamant it was going to be called the Wii remote and then he wanted it to look like a remote and just so you know like someone like my mom grabs it and is like oh this is a remote control not a controller um and you know i could go on and on about it you know covers the birth of smash brothers it's quite interesting but you know one of the things i just wanted to call out and you know given that we are running long i'll I'll wrap up soon but you know that on earthbound which is a very you know, it's a, it's kind of like a cult classic, but you can't really call it that. But, you know, it has that kind of vibe about it. So with Earthbound, you know, back in the day with SNES games, they would spend three years to spit out games. Um, and Earthbound got stuck in development hell. So it got to a point where it was like four years in and they really weren't anywhere close to closing and finishing out the game. And the team actually got Awata. So he was at HAL Labs at the time to come across to run the game and to like almost come in and step in as the producer. So he looked at everything and he's a programmer as he start, you know, and he's got that whole famous line as, you know, on my business title, it says that I'm a president in my head, you know, I'm a game developer, but in my heart, I'm a gamer. 
But, you know, he's very driven as a developer. He's got that massive technical skill. He looked at the whole project and, you know, I probably would have approached this in a completely different way, but he's actually sat down with the whole team and said, okay, we have a choice and the choice is your choice. It's not my choice. I've come in as an outside person to help. So the choice is what the game is right now, Earthbound, we'll give it two years to fix it. The alternative is we get rid of everything and start from scratch and we finish it in six months. What do you want to do? Right. And I'm like, I quite love the framing of that. And the whole team said, well, yeah, let's start from scratch and finish the game in six months. And they did finish it roughly in that amount of time. And they were able to leverage all the assets that they had and all that kind of stuff. But it was that mentality of going, well, we can't hold on to, you know, they've got themselves into a situation where they just can't work through it. It's going to be more work to reverse it and do all of this kind of stuff rather than, you know, come up with some stuff from scratch. So really, really interesting, you know, actually talks a bit about the theory around pricing uh, with Nintendo. So he was very adamant that, you know, in the industry and what the expectation is, you release a piece of hardware or software or something like that. And then over time you lower the price, but his view was if you do that, it sort of devalues it. So then someone who goes, oh, why would I buy on day one? I'm going to get ripped off in day, you know, year three or year four, it's going to be cheaper. So why don't I just wait? So he was just simply like, why don't you keep it roughly at the same price? You might have a few drops, but, you know, you, you create a situation where people go, well, there's no reason why I shouldn't buy it on day one. And I must admit, they've carried that through still to today. And it's part of the reason why a lot of the times I'll buy Nintendo games on day one, because it's like, you're going to be waiting forever for a very minor increase, a decrease in price and nothing that you'd see on PS4 or, you know, PS5 and Xbox as well. So it's a really cool book, like worth reading. It's very short. Um, And if you're a nerd like me around this kind of stuff, it's very good. It's certainly not one of the greatest gaming books ever, um, but it's it's well worth read. Yeah, it sounds sounds awesome. And I think it's very telling how respected is by yes. everyone in industry. Um, I kind of honestly miss that era of Iwata, Reggie, and uh, Miyamoto kind of as like the figureheads. But at some point, you know, maybe maybe we'll get some uh, good faces in Nintendo and stuff. So. Yeah, and he was a very good and kind person, like, and as a business person, like, you know, the fact that he decided on himself to voluntarily cut his salary when Nintendo performed poorly with the Wii U and then post yeah, I remember that. Era. That was amazing. And they literally did it. And then also he got the board of directors of Nintendo to cut their pay as well by 20, 30%. And they did it primarily so that they didn't have to retrench people at Nintendo, which is like legitimately the exact opposite of what, you know, Activision and EA do. <laughs> where they <laughs> And just about any other company really. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So it's quite different. And he did seem like everything you read about him and in this book, like, the fundamental thing is how kind he is. And one thing that keeps coming through as a thread in the book is what a good father he is and how different that is in Japanese culture. Like, and he seemed like a really kind person and he talks about his children, which um, is quite uncommon in Japanese culture. So very cool guy. Very sad that he passed away relatively so young, really, you know, like most people, especially in Japan live to 80 to 90. So, you know, but he, you know, shone brightly and um, yeah, it's a really great book and it's a, it's a great tribute to him. Um, which, you know, I was really glad, glad to see and f- glad to finally read it because it, it's still not available in Australia, which is a bit frustrating. So I'll get my hard copy version eventually whenever it comes to Australia. I think it comes All out right. in May. 
we're running well it's been delayed i reckon may june or july now oh, um, we are in may we are so running late so let's get into our next and final feature and that is game of summer of the year nominee for 2021 deus ex human 20, revolution 2011 oh yeah sorry 2011 i'm so used <laughs> to saying 2021 2011 good correction um so just quickly the other game of some other year nominees minecraft super mario 3d land la noir which we've all covered so far today is deus ex human revolution two weeks from now will be skyrim and then four weeks from now will be dark souls and then i think about two weeks after that we will determine the game of some other year finally 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 it's announced yes and you know we've spoken about it offline i think we'll restructure how we do this in terms of like announcing and then playing and all that kind of stuff. So we've got some good ideas of what we'll do yeah. next time. Uh, so yes, Swinney, do you want to kick this off as the mega fan of Deus Ex? Well, yeah. I mean, I know that Mike is also a big fan of the series, but for me, the first Deus, original Deus Ex game is still almost like my joint favorite game of all time uh, alongside... Ocarina of Time, and I move back and forth every now and then. At this point, I'm just like, I think that I share that spot. Um, and so I remember when this game was, when they announced it, when they were leading up with the pre-release stuff, that there was also, you know, people were excited, but a lot of people were also like hesitant um, to get too hyped about it because um, Invisible War was not good. Um, I did Which was not the like, second game in the series. Yeah, so Visible War was follow up, also made by Iron Storm, who made the mm. original. And honestly, it it kind of stunk in a lot of ways. It had some neat stuff, but so everyone's like, okay, but this looks good. But then they started showing a lot more of, uh, you know, like the fact that it will move into third person when you're behind cover, and there's like scripted melee stuff. So there was people that were a bit cynical about it, mm. um, and they had a honestly like they had a huge task ahead of them to not only you know live up to that original but it had been what eight years or something since the the first uh, for, since invisible war so it had yeah, also been a while uh and it was brand new like ados, ados montreal and none of the people had ever worked on the previous deus ex game so it's a compl- team completely new to the series and obviously you know it's nominated so we know how well it turned out but um but yeah, so this came out on PC, PlayStation 3, uh, Xbox 360, and the Wii U got an upgraded version as well with some neat touchpad features. Yeah, and like, so I didn't get time to play it on the Wii U, and I, I'd, I'd actually would like to play it again. So I might actually use my Wii U as the excuse to play, do another run through this game. Maybe, you know, because you guys love this game, maybe I'll come in as the initial detractor so I was so pissed that we didn't have Portal 2. I'll bring it up almost every single time. <laughs> the fact that Portal 2 is not one of the games in this nominee. And I look, I genuinely think out of playing, I've now played all the games, right? I haven't beaten Dark Souls, but I played enough of it to know my, you know, initial view of Dark Souls. And I still put Portal 2 as my second favorite game of 2011, but that's not the point of this. It's a collective effort. Um, but this game, initially, when I started playing it, I was a bit like, eh, you know, I don't know. It just didn't click with me. And then maybe halfway through the game, man, I got so into this game and totally fell in love with it. Like, I really, really, really enjoyed this game. Something about this game, it's just it's just cool to play. It's just yeah, really yeah, yeah. enjoyable. It's hard to kind of, like, when you take the awesome setting 
Um, you know, a, a neat story. You know, we'll get into maybe some mention about that. You know, it's not perfect. Um, but you take a neat story, really, really cool setting, just a oozing atmosphere and, you know, just really cool gameplay mechanics um, and just make it fun. It's just a fun game to play and it's a fun game to explore the world. Um, it's just, yeah, like I I haven't replayed this since I did that, you know, in 10 years essentially. Um, mm. But it's still, I still fondly remember so many of the big, I guess, set pieces in that game and everything. It's just such a cool game. It is. It's uh, so it's interesting because on so you haven't replayed it now, have you, Swinney? No, but I'll get in. I I'll get into why I think that's that's no, no, that's fine. And I'm I'm not I'm not critiquing that. What I find what I find kind of cool actually is that that's the case with you. And then you've got Intigod who never played it originally, (laughs) and then I'm in the middle where I played it originally, loved it, and then played it again now. Uh, So it's quite we've got three completely different perspectives Mm. on it. Which is really cool. So, like, one thing that I really, really love about this game. So, you know, we really haven't kind of gone over the genre, but, like, you know, what would you call it? Like, cyberpunk, sci-fi, first person. Sci-fi, first person RPG. It's yeah, RPG elements. This a, is definitely an RPG. With a dash, <laughs> with a dash of immersive <clears throat> sim to it. So. Yeah, immersive sim. Mm. But then, you know, one of the core things is, you know, a very deep sort of, uh, what do you call it? Kind of like not sneak mechanic, but, you know, being able stealth to... Stealth mechanic. Stealth, that's what I was trying yeah. to say. Thanks. Stealth, but then also melee combat, you know, like in your face, shooting, mm-hmm. aggressive. What I really like about this game is that typically I never play stealth components of the game, right? If a game even wants me to play as a stealth kind of... Like, if the game is a stealth game, I'll try to figure out a way to just run in and smash people and, like, go ultra-aggressive. Complete like, opposite to me. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no. It'd be interesting seeing you watch watch you play Hitman or something. Yeah, I'll just go in and try <laughs> to smash people straight away, right? That's the way I like to play. And what I really love about this game is... Because there wasn't so much at the start, but it developed really well, hmm. that the game really afforded people to choose what they wanted and didn't punish and didn't force you down one avenue. It really was very thoughtful from the devs of how they made the game where they offered both play styles and didn't create a scenario where it was like, oh, shit, I really wish I did the stealth run because mm-hmm. I'm screwed now, or the opposite, you know, I really wish I went all out assault. Because, you know, I can see, you know, all the little you know, uh, what do you call it? Like the air ducts and all this other kind of stuff that you can go through to skip parts or, you know, create more of a stealthy run. But I I ended up going like back and forth on those things. And I probably played more stealth. And I think it's because it was respectful in the way it did it. Played more stealth in this game than I've ever played in any other game. Interesting. Because it didn't force me to do it. And then I sort of was like, am I trying to like, you know, for this mission, sneak up on people and bash them and do that kind of stuff and pull them away and do all that kind of stuff. And, then no, no, you know this, maybe halfway through shoot them all, but <laughs> but that's the thing about the game. It's it it is pretty sandboxy, even mm. within levels that are fairly confined, like mini levels if you can call them that. It's still pretty sandboxy in what you can do. The reality is though, so the very first time I played the game, because naturally I'm the complete opposite to you, and that is naturally if a game lets me be stealthy for some reason, it's stealthy that I do. Mm. But I think that's because of games like this where they reward you more for being stealthy. And it does it in multiple ways. Uh, Number one, 
sort of discovering those little ducts and everything and get extra experience points. Um, taking people down in a non-lethal way, you get extra experience points. And if you finish a mission without being detected, you also get extra experience points. So it, revo- it rewards you way more than just running and gunning the entire time. Um, and of course, on top of that, if you're stealthy, you tend to look around more and find all the little hidden things. So you get even more rewards. And, and I found as a contrast um, to the first time I played it, because again, naturally, that's how I play these games. I was very stealthy. Whereas now I'm just like, eh, I'm just going to run in there and shoot everyone mm. um, as, as much as possible. Kind of just to just try mostly, to be honest, to try to something different because it, it didn't feel like the right way to play the game, if that makes sense. In fact, it almost um, very early on, there's a mission where you have to go into the police station. You, well, you got to sneak into the police station, if you remember that mission, mm. um, to get some some evidence and stuff. And I just went in there and I kind of went, yeah, I'll sneak. I sneaked at the start for like the first 10 meters and I went, screw it. So I took out my guns and I just killed everyone in the whole mm. police station, which by the way is really bad. I, I actually felt better about it, but that's another point. Um, <laughs> What's really weird, though, and I don't know if it glitched, is if I then went out the front door and I instantly got killed because there's all these police officers rightfully taking you down. But if you sneak out the back and then you make your way to the front, it's like, God, nothing happened. Perfectly fine. (laughs) Like, what the hell? You know, you just went in there, massacred everyone. You walk out through the back door and it's perfectly fine. So the game is... It, it's sandboxy. It lets you do everything, but it's clearly designed for you to play more stealthily. Yeah, and I mean, it's that's the same with a game like Dishonored. I feel um, you know they they mm. they're very different games, but they also like allow that flexibility of playstyle. Um, and that this you know this is nothing new to Deus Ex series. Like the original Deus Ex was this as well, but the way they've handled it in Human Revolution, exactly how you said, um, Mike, is so much smarter. The fact that they actually reward you. Um, as opposed to just saying, okay, well, I got in and I didn't set off an alarm and that's more in like just a, an organic reward here. They actually give you a game reward, you know? So it's yeah. like, and I kind of like that. I like that this game does actually feel very gamey as much as it is trying mm. to immerse you in this world. It's very much a video game in so many ways. I know mm. that sounds ridiculous, but the fact that there's XP popping up all the time and it's, like, sometimes you just want that. You know, you don't always need, you know, oh, no hard kind of stuff. Sometimes you, you like getting that, you know, satisfaction of, of, of reward. But, look, I look, I think the gameplay is, is really great. The, the shooting's pretty good, but obviously, you know, that I generally play stealth, so it's kind of like I don't remember that in detail. But the stuff I... The, solid. The stuff that I really love, I love the hacking minigame in this so much. Yeah. Um, and they expanded upon that in the sequel as well. Uh, I think the they tried something really new and unique with the social augmentation where you could, um, you know, you've if you've got that plugged in when you're interviewing certain people, it's like scripted stuff, you can then use that feedback from the augmentation to then make the right decisions and stuff. It was yeah. a neat concept. I don't know if it ended up being that great. They didn't bring that one back for the sequel, um, but they did try new stuff. I, I've got to give them credit um, that they, were, they weren't just remaking the original Deus Ex. They were trying completely new stuff, um, and a lot of it played out, landed really well. So, because you know, can I just say, and I played this on PC, Same, uh, yeah. it, you know, and we all have different views on this stuff. It, it's interesting. 
through the game, I ended up doing all the hacking stuff. Like I got yes. like, real into it, right? I wasn't doing almost Same. any of it at the start. Even and if I, I had the code, I would still hack it. Oh, 100% because you get XP <laughs> yeah, as well. exactly. But I just say, I, you know, it's a weird one. It's one of those ones where like I liked it. I kept doing it. It was almost like a habit or obsession about doing it. <laughs> but to me, it was pretty like uneventful really, like the hacking. It was like so straightforward. It was like... You know, intellectually, I look at it and go, "It's, it's there's nothing to it." You just there wasn't like, a lot of strategy to it. No, there was it's some, but it's pretty force. minimal. Click, yeah, click, 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 done. No, but what much, yeah. what they were actually going for was they were give, wanting to give people a sense of like you're in there and you need to take action. Like it's more like a sense of urgency as opposed to yeah. I need to figure this out. It's like giving people it's like a bit of a mini rush when you're going through that because. Um, until you upgrade all your stuff and things like that, you know, if you try to tackle things that you shouldn't be, it's like, oh crap, you know, suddenly this, you know, the, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's like this grid of different icons and then, you know, you have to take down different nodes and then some nodes will start to like trigger and you need to do stuff quickly before the time runs out. Um, and I really like that, you know, because if they make it like an intellectual thing, almost like what they do, do with Fallout games, at some point you kind of like, Ah, oh, I, I started getting over that after a while. Whereas this, but Fallout wasn't more... even that intellectual, was it? This actually felt more smart than Fallout. No, Fall... Fallout you had no. Fall... You had the brackets, didn't you? With, no, with Fallout you've got to essentially play a game of, of Mastermind, which is much more intellectual than this. Yeah, yeah this is this is there was this but is not this is not intellectual at all. This no. is just like click on things no. as quickly as uh, you can. Yeah, but this is more of a mini game. Not is really. Like... Well, I think it was. So here's where I think it was. So with Fallout. Um, which expanded on Skyrim, which basically had lockpicks, and lockpicks were were well, basic, Fallout also, and it was just Fallout a game of also has light lock, skill. Fallout also has the, Fallout picks. also had the lockpicks, but then they had the computer terminals. But I remember with Fallout, a lot of the times, maybe because of the hacking skill or whatever skill I had up, um, all it boiled down to is to look at the brackets, keep finding the brackets that would narrow down the ward until you were left with like two wards or something, and it was one of them. And a lot of the times that all it became for me, it was like, I, I would, that's all I would do. I anyway, would just use the brackets. That's, I just, yeah, I just wanted to Where's kind of... this? Yeah, I just wanted mm-hmm. to say that this is more about giving people a rush when they're doing it. That's all. Yeah, there that's is. It. And there is the tenseness of, oh my God, the timer, it's like five seconds left. Do I yeah. do I risk it and click, quickly click on this? And there are, there are instances where I think you kind of go in parallel and you're like, oh, do I quickly start this node, which is the final node, but because it's three points... But then there's this this extra money that I can hack that's only one point. So I'll start the three first and then I'll quickly go and do yeah. the one while also worrying about the timer running out. So it's like there's this like it's it's for a mini game, it wasn't bad. I, yeah, I thought it was pretty and, well implemented. Ultimately, like with everything to me, it's like, is it fun? Do you want to do it? And that's what I did. I started doing all of them. So yeah. that's the ultimate thing that you want to have, right? It just seems kind of like pretty basic and pretty dumb, but I don't know, addictive yeah. for some reason. It was, it was. So, 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 so we don't end up talking just about a mini game within <laughs> the game more than the actual game itself. What do you guys think of the music? Because to me, it's one oh, of I the love greatest the soundtracks yeah. out of any game. Yeah, it's uh, so it's from Michael McCann, who's done a few soundtracks, and he also did it for the sequel as well. I'm so glad they're going back. It's phenomenal. Like this soundtrack is so just cool. absolutely killer. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, the soundtrack, the atmospheric sound, the background sound, like I I loved almost all parts of this game. I, I just probably want to touch on two things. 
One is the voice acting, and then the other one is the bosses. Now, the voice acting, because I feel like that's very subjective, I hated the voice acting in this game with a passion. Like, I thought it was horrible. Like, I, in, in, to be fair, I generally hate voice acting in video games. I'm not, if I have an option, I'll usually change to Japanese <laughs> voices in games. Like, you know, for Japanese-based games, because I just find it's more powerful. just imagine a bunch of Japanese people changing it to English because they feel <laughs> the Japanese version isn't good. <laughs> and I just hated the voice acting in this game. That's probably just a personal subjective thing. Mm. Now, the one thing I think is worth criticism is the bosses. I find the bosses in this game very weird and very, like, lumpy with the way that they've been built, very simplistic at times. And just kind of a bit like of a brute force kind of boss, like not really like super skilled base. It's more like, you know, almost forcing you down the stealthy route where you need to run away and hide a bit. And Well, there was actually, cri- well, if you could call it the stealthy route, that was actually, uh, I remember Swinney, that was one of the critiques of, uh, of the game when it came out that it actually forced you to have to use guns. So if you played the whole thing stealthily, yeah, at least the very first boss, and I think it was applied to other ones. You had to start shooting; there was no choice. Mm. And I think that actually there was there was a sticking point with a bunch so, of people. And I remember reading that in reviews back then. Yeah, so it's easily the worst part of the game. It was actually outsourced to another developer. These boss battles. That's oh, amazing, wow. isn't that's, it? Yeah. So that's funny because <laughs> this is the only part of the game that I didn't like. And then outside of, and I'll just mention it really quickly because it's not a big thing. In the PC version, there's with the DLC that's incorporated in the definitive edition, there's components of the game where you have to go through these barriers and it's, it's basically a mechanic to load things, but you don't need to be doing that on the PC, but it's like a default timer. And it's so frustrating going back and forth and backtracking through those, but it's such a minor gripe, mm. but yeah, the boss battles when you're saying that it was actually a third party who did those. Yeah. So they ran out of time during development and originally <sighs> they had planned on making them, like, they kind of are, but not. Um, they wanted them to feel like Metal Gear Solid boss battles. And the boss battles are probably the most iconic sequences of those games. Um, and yeah. they... <laughs> yeah, it's essentially, yeah, as I said, it punishes players that didn't spec up in combat whatsoever mm. because in the initial release, you're forced to. In the director's cut re- re-release and the Wii U version and that, they added more options to be able to take them out um, in non-direct combat ways, which I never got Uh to experience. Um, I do love the setting of the Namir boss battle when you're in that room full of like the... The, the human models with the muscles and stuff. I love oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's so my cool. favorite. I love that's that. My favorite. Yeah, yeah, that was so cool. And that's probably the best boss battle in the game as well there. Mm. But it's still pretty weak. It's still weak, yeah. Like, in general, the boss battles and... So eerie, though. So cool. Yeah, so for me, look, um, I guess, like, visually, I love... I do love the look of this game in many ways in the setting, mm. but it... The black and gold look does get a bit tiresome after time, after a while. Um, and the, it's easy on the eyes, though. You know, it's easy on the eyes, but easy to sleep after. But the and the triangle <laughs> motif, um, I get what they're going going for, but sometimes it's so heavy handed. Where like there's triangles in every single piece of clothing that people have, and I think that what that leads to as well is some of the character models, especially during like cutscenes. David Sarif is the biggest culprit of this. Like, just really awkward character models and movements and animations like yeah. where their arms don't look like they're mm. properly connected to their to their you know their uh, torso and stuff so there's definitely stuff to pick at with this game 
Um, I wonder about the triangles, though. The triangles—that's the Illuminati, man. That's why there's. I know, but everywhere. they throw it in everywhere. I just <laughs> I think know, it's maybe a bit too. Much. There's a lot of triangles in this but game, and we're not talking about the polygons. Overall, the the highlights for me is um, getting to interact with young Tracer Tong. He's just fantastic. It's one of the coolest pieces of fan service I've ever had in the game, um, because he's such an important part of the original game as well as this one. Um, I love the flavor text. Uh, so you talked about hacking everything. Like I, I read every single terminal in that game and every single yeah i remember the same yeah i did that too yeah at the first time i played it every single one (laughs) i skipped every single one (laughs) so you didn't even if you skipped every single one you didn't probably see the megadeth easter egg then as well some are Um, funny some are some are like just just office banter between people of really innate stuff i i I just wanted to absorb more of that world and yeah much like hong kong the first game the heng sha section in this game is just the best part i love what they do with that Mm, and the missing link dlc is pretty neat um yeah the missing link dlc is good yeah so overall look i i love this game um and i consider it a true sequel to the original however the problem for me is I actually have seen in this day and age, I actually prefer the sequel. And because for that... the sequel is in the original game or the sequel is in Mankind Divided? Mankind Divided. I absolutely love Mankind Divided. Yeah. I'll have to put that on the playlist then. Um, Yeah. Because... I never finished it. And because of that... So wait, wait, wait. Can I just pause you for a second, Sweeney? Because let's just remove... Uh, the second Deus Ex game from the register it doesn't exist in yeah, Visible yeah, yeah. War. It's not worthy. Uh, <laughs> so Deus Ex, Human Revolution, Mankind Divided. Are you saying that the order for you is from bottom to top, Human Revolution, Mankind Divided, Deus Ex? Oh, probably. But I mean, they're all great wow. games. They're prob- all probably. How, sh- how shit hot are those two games then? Because <laughs> I love this game. I look, the thing is, right, I was just going to say, we've... With Mankind Divided, I love... We're not reviewing that, so I wasn't going to get into it, but I'll just say the one reason I love it so <laughs> Sorry, much is up. just... I just think that the, it's better paced and I love that the world, the Prague setting that you come back to is just... Mm. I love it so much. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, because I love that game so much that it's hard for me to judge Human Revolution in 2021. Like, That's without, problem, yeah. without that, but mm. it's... Mm. So, but in terms of, like, when we're looking just at 20... 2011 like i this is one of the, the top games of that year. well it's the same as it's hard to judge the original deus ex so because when it came out to me it was a revolutionary game um and if you were to play it now into god i don't think it would hold the test of time for someone who's i guess fresh to the game it's one Are of those things where you it? had to be there when it when it came out. Surely there's a good mod for even with mods and stuff. It's just you can't. It's it's too hard to. Um, I mean, I think you can still appreciate the game for what it is, but the problem is games have evolved so much since then and have copied elements of of a game like Deus Ex, and it's it's one of those things where and graphically, I don't think it'll hold up and animations and all that jazz that. It, you had to have been there, if that makes sense, yeah, originally, yeah. for you to really, really appreciate and understand. It's kind of like any any old film like that, you know, a, a film or, or any piece of art or whatever. Um, you just it, it's it's still an amazing piece of art and, and an amazing game, but it's just not the same impact as if you had played it originally. But I, you know, like I've played games long enough to put myself into the mindset of, hey, this game came out in the year two thousand kind of half oh yeah of course yeah yeah and period, i think you so. still enjoy it but you know what i mean it won't have the same impact to so just life, checking it so it's deus ex revolution uh, sorry deus ex 
revision was actually officially endorsed by Square Enix That's and cool. is a fan-made mod. That's cool. So a little bit like Black Mesa for Half-Life. So I might pick this up when it's on sale as a way to play um as a way to play Deus Ex. So But yeah, just going back to uh Human Revolution, <laughs> given that we're talking about the other two games. So, Swinney, yeah, you're saying, like, how far off the pace do you feel it is to Deus Ex, which is one of your favourite games of all time? It's not far off, honestly. Yeah. Um, okay. And a lot of that's just because it's it just plays better. Like, it's mm. it's a modern game. So you're going to get the modern bells and whistles. Um, but there's just something about the first game that is just so special. So. Yeah. I must admit, like, because when I started playing it, I was like, nah, this is right at the bottom for me in the Ghostsoy games <laughs> and then playing through it and then beating it and everything. I'm like, damn, this is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be good when this lands. Cause I got some opinions. Did um, you like some of the twists? Yeah. We can't, I, we can't spoil the story. Yeah, but there was one particular anything. twist that I thought was really cool. The news one. The news one. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, like really, really cool. Like really enjoyed that. It's interesting, you know, cause I, pinged Swinney at the end just to talk about the ending and the choices that you have and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it's always interesting in those kind of things. I've, but I've since watched story recaps and what those endings were. So when you asked me like two weeks ago or whatever, I'm like, I do not remember. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. Because it's kind of consequential, but then kind of inconsequential because you don't live in the aftermath mm-hmm. of whatever your decisions Correct. are. Correct. So. And like I, like I said, um, I believe in Mankind Divided there is a choice that was picked. Like you don't get to choose the yeah. the option that you picked in the previous game or anything like that. Yeah, it kind so. of becomes the canonical choice then. Mm. Um, yeah, so two weeks from now we'll cover Skyrim and then two weeks after that, Dark Souls. So mm. it's going to be interesting. What a pair, Finally what wrapping a pair up of games, Soy. Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, and then Minecraft so. and the amount of games that we left off the nominees list. It's, you know, we will go back and... I. You know, I'm kind of saying this unilaterally, Swinney, but I feel like it has to be the 90s, the next Gosoy. I think okay. it has to be so that we also Good. get it completed within a certain amount of time this time. Because <laughs> it's going to be, no, it, I... it's going to be, with, that, <laughs> with, with the exception of access to certain games, um, it's going to be much easier. To, they're shorter games to experience. So. Well, I do like this whole thing now that it's randomly developing. Like, if this is the 2010s, because 2011. And then maybe the nineties, maybe the next time we can either pick the eighties or the two thousands and go, go about it that way. But yeah, like what I was trying to say is I find it, it's going to be really hard to find a year that can compete with this Mm. for the, for the full, you know, suites of games. I think the top two, three, yeah, maybe, but you know, you get down to the sixth best game and it's still an amazing game and could easily make an argument for being the number one game. I think that's going to be pretty rare. That's going to be pretty rare. All right, we've gone long. Uh, just to wrap up, so as always, if you want to help us out, reach out to us at bigwigpod on Twitter or bigwigpod at gmail.com.au at, gmail.com, uh, or via YouTube. So like and subscribe to help our YouTube channel grow and Give us a five-star rating if you're listening to this on iTunes especially or a like on and follow on Spotify. But with that, bye-bye. Goodbye.